All right, welcome everyone. So before we um, before we get started officially, uh, just so everybody knows, Stanley Stanley's a big basketball fan, and I think he gave up the Knicks for dead. They've been horrible for years. So Stanley, before we get officially started, I just want to ask you one question. That was the fine night. That was a 2013 NBA Finals. Did you go? I know you're a big Miami Heat fan. Did you go to those games in 2013, Stanley? Is the Pope Catholic? <laughs> Enough said. All right, so Stan, you can relax. I'm just going to do my spiel as I usually do to get the ball rolling, but we're so honored to have you in the house. Um, I just want, you know, I just want to say up front, uh, I am so thrilled to uh, reconnect with Stan. He is truly a legend and he's generously giving his time here. And we'll talk about what he does now in his service a little bit later, but let's just set the stage here briefly. Um, you know, we've, we've had uh, the market, uh, got a proper schmicing for, uh, weeks and months on end. Uh, it got oversold in the middle of, um, of, 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 uh, of, of May. Uh, I'm sort of a longer term investor, so I'm not going with all the zigs and zags. Stan, we'll talk about the multiple time frames, the short term, the medium term, the longer term. But, you know, if you caught that turn, great. Uh, you know, NASDAQ, I think, t- tacked on 17% or some crazy number like that in, in, in two and a half, in 11 days. John Roke has spoken about that repeatedly. I point everybody to John's analysis of the 2000-2002 bear market, where despite NASDAQ falling by uh, 80%, to remind people, hard to believe, the market was actually up on 46% of those days. And there were 10 rallies, counter-trend rallies of over 15%. And 15 counter trend rallies of over 10%. And Stanley will get into the multiple time frames later. But my personal belief, and I could, could be wrong, this is not investment advice. Do your own work. All right. I think what we witnessed here is a counter trend rally. Um, Stanley, to your immediate left, if you look at your screen, you'll see our good mutual friend, Tommy Thornton. I salute Tommy. He came in this room uh, two weeks ago. I don't know if he was channeling his inner Stan Weinstein, but he called the turn. And he really killed it, but he was taking some of his chips off the table uh, earlier this week, having made like a year's worth of performance in about two weeks. Um, you know, as uh, Helene Meisler, and we're going to talk about some of your history, Stanley, going back, but as Helene Meisler likes to say, sentiment follows price. And whereas, you know, at the close on Tuesday this past week, people might have been thinking, you're saying, so you're telling me there's a chance, you know, the dream is alive. And all the talking heads on CNBC and everywhere are saying, get back in the pool. You know, people are squeezing shorts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, it remains to be seen uh, where the market's going from here. I'll just um, read. Stanley was gracious enough to send me his uh, update, the uh, summary of his update that he's putting out uh, this weekend. Um, and um, he, he and I'm just going to observe a couple of points here um, where he's talking about that from a very near term point of view. Um, the tape, tape, tape is very sloppy. Uh, it's it's quite possible that, you know, we saw a trading bottom or, or, or around 1.30 on Friday afternoon. However, it's a very split tape. It's a chop, it's a chop, chop and flop. Uh, various sectors going one way, other sectors going the other. And so, you know, you got to keep the volatility in perspective. Don't lose sight of the forest for the trees. For some of us who aren't as, as laser-eyes focused on every uh, zig and zag of the market, trying to catch these micro moves maybe too much. So zoom out, as our Bitcoin maxi friends would say. Um, so yeah, there's a short term, 
But then, um, you know, there's a, there's a medium term uh, and the longer term. And, and, and Stanley has very different opinions about spending what, what time frame you're looking at. So you didn't come in here to listen to me blab on today, as I usually do. There'll be plenty of time for that later. But the man of the hour is Stan Weinstein. Uh, I've known Stan for over three decades. First met him back in my uh, fidelity days. Um, he's well known in, in um, uh, technical circles. Um, he's kind of like, I would say, one of the, 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 the senior rabbis uh, of, of, of technicians. And I, as I was joking, I joked in this room a few, a few weeks ago, and I joked with Stanley on the phone this morning. Neither Stanley nor I are particularly religious. However, in Judaism, we have what's known as the oral tradition. And those are things which are not written down, but it's import, they're important traditions and learnings, nevertheless, which are important. And they, they, they're passed on from generation to generation by the rabbis. Stanley's been accused of many things. I don't think being a religious Jew is one of them, so I'm not going to say he is. But I think it's very important that Stanley's voice be heard in the public square. I was joking with him uh, this morning. You know, in, it's kind of sad, but in a way, some of the more elder statements have been canceled. And it's not because of the political views. It's been because they've been preempted by the change in technology. So in case you guys are wondering, Stan, I'm going to tease you now, so don't get mad at me. If, if all you wanted to know what, what was the serious technical te- technology issue we had was basically getting Stanley to be able to figure out how, how to get Twitter on his phone and then how to use use the Twitter squares. And his grandson, um, uh, Lawrence, was with Tyler Lawrence, was really, really helpful in getting this done. But we had a little birthing pins in this, but we're here. But Stanley, don't worry. You're not the first person that's had this problem. You're not going to be the last. Dennis Gartman, like go down list. Everyone's had this issue. So in any event... Um, Technology, because because the older generation is maybe not as familiar with the technology medium, um, they're being co-opted. The older old guard is being co-opted or preempted by social media, um, whether it's you know Twitter or whatever. And so, in this in this sort of uh, hyperactive, fast motion market that we live in, where people are clinging on to every bit of news that's driving a lot of the prices, and Stanley. We'll speak to how excessive the short-term gyrations are. But the point is, people like Dennis Gartman, people like uh, Don Cox, people like Jim Walker, people like Stan Weinstein, these are the greats that I've learned from, and they need to be heard. And this room is really always about education, trying to teach people. You know, you give a man a fish, you give him a meal, you teach a man a fish, you give him a livelihood. And that's kind of the way Stanley rolls. So Stan, maybe a good place to start. Because you've been around, I joked with you, you're the, kind of the satchel page of the investment business, and you've had a very low profile. And Stanley told me a hilarious story. Stanley, you, you, have, you should share these stories, something about someone thought you were, you, were, you were dead or something. That'd be a great place to start. So, Stan, you've been out of the limelight. I know you did one podcast last year, but what was the story you were telling me about somebody thought you were dead, Stanley? What, what was that story, Stan? Okay, here we go. First of all, it's a pleasure to talk with you, George, and the group here in the room. Um, my wife, Reed, and I, before the pandemic, we've done so many cruises over the years. And I guess it was about three, four years ago, I was on a ship, one of the ones that we like on a region ship. And I saw this guy walking back and forth, kind of looking at me out of the side of his eye. And I said to my wife, Rita, he thinks he knows me. Finally, he couldn't take it anymore. He came up to me and he said, I've got to ask you, didn't you used to be Stan Weinstein? And I turned to my wife, Rita, and said, you see what happens? They don't see me on TV. You think it's dead. And somebody else um, recently discovered me after the podcast that I did. And he became a client. And he said, 
oh my God, I'm so glad to see that you're still around. I thought you were dead. And I said, nope, still here, rocking and rolling, still in stage, <laughs> still, still in stage two. Um, but I got to tell you, before, George, before we even go further, I first want to thank you and for sure my grandson, Tyler Lawrence. Oh, this would have never happened because technology is way above my pay grade. And if it was up to me, I would still be using two Dixie cups and a tight string. <laughs> Stanley, I, I, you're, you are the satchel page of the investment business. I still, you see, you haven't told you and I haven't talked for a few years until a couple of weeks ago, but I, I can see you haven't changed at all. Um, you're like a fine wine. You just keep getting better with age. So Stan, could you just talk a little bit? We're not going to go down memory lane of, of, you know, where you went to school and grew up and the whole deal. But could you just talk a little bit about how you got started? And also what I want to know is you're kind of the link. You probably, you, you're a lot to watch yourself talk, but you probably also learned a lot from your predecessors and your elders. So maybe talk about how you got started and then talk about some of the greats that you knew that are not with us anymore and, how, and, and, what, and what you got from them. Because these are all just names in a history book to many of us. Sure. Okay. You're asking a lot of good questions. So it's kind of like you're on the basketball court and you're giving me the ball. You're, you're getting assists as we go. Basically, without going into a whole lot of wriggles and jiggles in the past, um, started out degree in economics. It was funny. Years later, I'm jumping, but years later, I guess it was the early 1980s, I used to do a lot of interviews, and the interviewer thought I was being facetious, and he said to me at that point in time, because then I had made the name, I'd been on Wall Street, and the whole thing said, Stan, what did you have to learn to do to be successful in the market? I was being straight up, and I said, put my economics degree on the side. Yeah, he laughed. He thought I was kidding around, but historically, we know that economists make the worst investors because what do you learn in Echo 101 that the market is really a discounting mechanism and it's looking six plus months into the future. So what you're reading in the Wall Street Journal or for sure hearing on CSNBC, et cetera, is not going to help you with the here and now. So the quick version is that I got out of school, put my economics degree on the side, always was a risk taker. And then turned down a chance to be an economist, took a job for $75 a week to train as a stockbroker. The rest is history. As In fact, I'll, I'm a big sports fan, as you said, and I'll go into my thing. Vinny Lombardi had said, when you, if you read his book, and he was so right, he said, hey, there's an average of seven, 73 plays in a football game. But it's usually four or five plays, key plays, that win the game or lose the game. And I think it's the same way in life. And happily, my key plays worked out well. So key play number one, boom, I decided to become a risk taker and go into the stock market and became a broker. Then important play number two, it's now 1969. We're going into a bear market. And I didn't have you know all these rich clients, which I, which I had in, who I know today in those days. And was struggling and I saw the bear market in those days very few people wanted to sell short so it became very boring in the brokerage room we were sailing planes around the room and I happened to answer an ad in the Wall Street Journal which was just a P.O. box that said shortest and I said oh that's me and I answered it forgot about it a few weeks later I got a call it turned out it was from um, Jack Mora who in those days owned Indicated Digest. I went, I interviewed with him. It, interestingly enough, they weren't looking for, for a me. They were looking for somebody who physically drew the charts. 
But, you know, I kind of impressed him, hired me on the spot. I gave up being a broker, moved on. As history showed, I became editor of the Indicated Digest. They had another publication, Technical Stock Reports, moved on. Next important move, now it's, you know, I Justin Mamis and I, Justin, had actually started the professional tape reader. Um, and now I'm still, and Justin and I met, he was an Indicated Digest too. I was now ready to move on. And he said, no, I was going to start my own service. Don't start a service. We can do it together. I left Indicated Digest. Justin and I did the tape reader for a few years together. And may he rest in peace. Justin was a great technician. And then from there, moved on. We became, I became discovered on Wall Street Week. That was an important, next important step. Then another important one along the way. Now we get into the 80s. And somebody comes up to me and says, hey, you know, I know you've got this very successful publication, Professional Tape Reader, but I think you could do even better if you would write a book. And I said, oh, I don't know if I have time for a book. Anyway, he said, I'll write the book. You just have to feed me the notes. So I, that was the next important play in my life. I did one chapter, a theoretical chapter. I read it. I said to my wife, Frieda, what he wrote. I said, this is not me. I bought him out. I ended up, Reader and I, it took one year out of our life in 1987, doing the book, Secrets for Profiting in Bull and Bear Markets. Boom. You know, at that time when I did it with Dow Jones Irwin, I said, hey, I know I'm not going to be in those days, Sidney Sheldon. I said, but how many of these things sell? Yeah, we can sell a couple of thousand if, if it works. I said, great. Happily, I did it. It turned out that's become a great seller. We've sold now over 200,000 books and it's in six different languages. That was an important play. And that led to, I think, my last important call in the Vinnie Lombardi analogy. Then it's now 1989. Another guy comes to me. I was always open to ideas. And he says to me, I think as great as the tape reader is, is, you could do an institutional product, which became Global Trend Alert, started it in 1990, thought, hey, it'd be a little nice adjunct. Instead of an adjunct, it turned out it blew the tape reader away. Um, Again, as I move, and now we'll, after this talk about the market, I always move incrementally, not I would have said, oh, maybe you retire. I said, no, but I always want to hedge and reader and I are a team. So I gave up the tape reader in 2000. I stopped doing the radio and TV stuff. I stopped doing seminars, but I did keep Global Trend Alert, which I'm doing to this day. And um, I plan to do it forever, God willing. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's line awesome. Is, this is where we are now. Perfect. All right. So that, that's fantastic. Telling. Okay. So there's so many ways we can go in this and you have a lot of friends in the room that want to, that I want to work in here. So I'll just ask a few questions and then I'm going to let, I see we have Tommy Thornton in the room, uh, John Roke in the room. I mean, a lot of great people in here, Tony Greer in the room. I know, you know, a lot of these folks and I really want to let them speak a lot, but let me just start with a couple questions. So when you look at the, at the, at the frenetic pace of the market, um, in in, in, in the turnover and the volatility and so on and so forth. I mean, I I guess the basic principles of the market have not changed, but a lot of the, uh, the way the game is played, the rules haven't changed, but the way, the way the other team is playing is a sports analogy, right? They're playing a little bit differently. So if it's you against the market, you guys still got to figure out how how you're going to adjust to this. So I guess, what would you say as you look at the market, um, and you, I imagine your hair must catch on fire when you 
see a lot of what passes for wisdom um, in the newspapers and the advice that are given. And, and look, you can't blame a lot of the newer investors. A lot of people have come into the market only since, you know, in the last dozen years since the great financial crisis. What do you observe about the market? Like, how's the market? The market's changed, obviously. But when you look at what people are doing, what what are they missing? What do you think are some of the sort of first principles uh, that, that people are missing that, as you go back to the blocking and tackling? Because I, I think... You know, you have a lot of these people running around just trying to day trade and weekly options and all this craziness. And, and we know that's very hard. So maybe just vent a little bit. Talk about what you see and how is it different from what from what you grew up on? How is it the same? And, and also, how have, your, how have your rules changed at all? Lot, okay, again, 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 you're leading and giving me an assist and asking great questions. And before I go forward, I hear you mention several times John Roke. I don't know if he's on, but I give a shout out to John because I think he's fabulous and I know him. Some of the other guys. So, know, so Stan, well. Stanley, Stanley, he's just to your left. He's the chart life. John, if you can speak up, if you're in a place right now, John, it'd be great to hear your voice. Hey, Stan, John Roke, great to hear your voice. I'm so glad to be with you and, and to have uh, hear you on George's uh, show today. Uh, what an honor. Um, I still have a copy of your book that you autographed to me uh, when I visited you at your home. So <laughs> I want to just sit back and hear, uh, just soak up everything you have to say. I'm going to turn it off now and I hope to ask you a question a little bit later. Hey, I'm back at you and it's great. It takes one to know one. You're, you're a great one too. Anyway, here we go. Um, again, there's, you could go into such depth with this, but basically I like to cut to the bottom line. I think they've ruined the market. But you know what? It's the new norm, so you can bitch and moan as much as you want. But you can see that, and it's a series of events that happened between the fact that first commissions were cut in the old days when I was a broker. Oh, my God, it was $100 plus round trip for to buy a stock. You know, it, it, one way, and then more round trip. And now you can basically trade for free, for pennies, for less. So there's that reality. Also, specialists. We knew, even though, yeah, they may not have all been the most honest guys, they still definitely had a good function where they balanced their books and whatever. Now you press a button, everything's electronic. The bottom line is they've turned it. It's not a true stock market like it was. I don't mean to sound like an old dinosaur, but it's not a true stock market like we had in the old days where things took, yeah, it's source of bottoms and distributional tops. Now, boom. Forget about distribution of tops. Things can change and go from the penthouse to the outhouse it literally in hours. So it is what it is. And, you know, we have to, you know, adapt to that. It's the new norm. Now, in terms of, you know, my view of the market, it's still the two basic things never change. Supply and demand is always going to be supply and demand. And from a psychological point of view, fear and greed is always going to be fear and greed. You know, so it's still there. Moves, if you go back and you look at my book, I know a lot of people have it out there, and they asked me to do another copy, but I said, no, I'm not doing an update. That's my contribution to literature. But anyway, if you take a look, you see these moves that lasted over weeks and months. Now they're happening so quickly. So it's you really have to be on top of your game. And I know, without naming names, even some of my long-term long-term clients and some of the mutual funds would tell me, oh, yeah, I'm a long-term investor. BS. I'm telling you, everybody, to a degree, has become a trader. And people that tell me the long-term, I see them buying on Monday, selling on Thursday. It's crazy. And I 
do think that can be an adjunct synergistically to add on to your profits if you do it right. But I'm afraid too many people have made this their end all and be all. And I had written, for anybody who reads my input, I had written several months ago when this bear market started. I do think, by the way, we're in a bear market that started actually in November, December, and accelerated in early January when we had that phony new all-time high in the first couple of days in January in the S&P, but it wasn't confirmed by so many other indexes. Um, You're in a bear market, but this is a very different kind of bear market. And again, anybody who's read me knows that I've said ad nauseum that it's not enough to just get hung up, and I don't want you to get hung up, on bull bear semantics, because one third of the market is still in a bull market, two thirds are bearish. So we had put out a sell on a lot of the aggressive stuff. And I don't have to tell all of you sharp guys what they've done to the aggressive area, although a lot of them are oversold now. At the same time, very bullish. We have, and we still have a lot of clients in energy related stocks. I think the energy is terrific. A lot of my material stocks, still a great rock and rolling, terrific. My fertilizers, I won't make a bad joke, but I, I got to tell you, you know, it's never smelled that good. It's been the, the fertilizer are fantastic um, and copper is shaping up. So there are things you could do. I also see money gravitating now and starting to move into the healthcare. A lot of small mid cap on uh, my buy list, um, medium biotech stocks and some other healthcare stocks. That's good stuff. Um, also for my most conservative accounts, utilities. We've been up to a zoo with my utility recommendations. It's like shooting fish in a barrel. And this hasn't changed, even though things are moving faster. I remember writing in the book when my hair was still black, but I'm happy I still have hair, even though it's gray now. The, the bottom line is, even though I wrote many years ago, I said, your chances of winning in the market are so much greater if you have a good shot in a good sector. And that's still true. If I have two equal charts, but one is in a rock and roll sector, let's say like energy related, and one isn't just a so-so area, I'll always go with the one that's in the hot sector. And I'm telling you, sectors have become even more important in this new norm than in the old days. It was always important, but even more now, because I'm telling you, I'm watching this, we follow with the staff over 3,000 shots. You know, it goes through like an in-depth report that I just finished, which will go out tomorrow before working with you, George. I see in here, it's mindless. If they like a group, like when I put out that sell in the beginning of the year on the aggressive growth, boom, forget about the fundamentals, which I never pay a lot of attention to, but here it really didn't matter. They sold them all. And if I put out the buy on energy, yeah, and energy work, they bought them all from A to Z. There's not a lot of intellect going on here, but I can't judge it. You just got to go with the flow. So I'm telling you, sector analysis is very important. Stan, <laughs> listening to you talk, it's hilarious. Um, I have a lot of friend, mutual friends in the room. By the way, I see Walter Diemer just joined us. Hopefully he's going to speak as well. You have so, Stan, so many people have come out here today to listen to you. These are people that you've known in decades past, probably haven't, haven't uh, had contact with for, for quite a while. But when word got out that you were coming, it was like crazy. My phone was blowing up. Um so let's just reset. But excuse me, let me give a shout out to Walt Diemer, who I haven't spoken to in years, but is another great mind. So it'll be great. We're going to get Walter up here on stage and you guys can talk and maybe have a conversation. And we can sit back and listen. Um, Walter's another uh, elder statesman, senior rabbi type. So let me just reset the room. 
Um, so we're here with Stan Weinstein of uh, Global Trend Alert. Uh, not to blow him up too much, but, you know, his reputation precedes. Literally, is a legend. I've been privileged to know Stan for over three decades. Learned so much from him. Uh, and it's just a real pleasure that uh, he's, he's willing to spend this time to share with us uh, some of his wisdom. For those of you that are interested, um, you know, as he said, Stan is not dead, contrary to what you know, you know rumors, of it, uh, rumors of his demise have been greatly exaggerated. Stan is not dead. Um, he still publishes the Global Trend Alert. I have no commercial affiliation with Stan, but I strongly urge you to reach out to Stan um, either through Twitter or his, or his website, or if you can't find him, contact me. I'll give you I'll give his contact details. Um, you know, he, he's got a great product. Um, you know, tell him George sent you, and I'm sure he'll take good care of you. So the Global Trend Alert has been in operation for decades now. It's one of the best publications around. I can't recommend it strongly enough. Okay. Um, so coming back to the market stand. Um, so could we talk about it? I don't want to read ad nauseum verbatim the your update you sent to me. I kind of know where you're at, but it's really kind of interesting because listening to you speak, it could have been John Roke. It could have been... Tony Greer. I mean, it's just eerie because I think you have a similar lens with which you uh, look, look, look at the world. And you were talking about the disparate tendencies, the chop and flop, whether it's across sectors, across across time frames. So for the average guy in the room, Stan, for the average guy, not the Sharpies like you and, and, and Roke and Greer and Walter Deemer, but for the average guy in the room who's, you know, not going to be day trading his account or switching every two or three weeks, you know, it, it's hard. We're, we're all trying to figure this out together. I mean, the professionals can't can't figure it all out correctly. But for the average guy in the room, what would you tell them? Do you I mean, let's first go to the longer term outlook. I mean, what, what's your sort of bigger picture view on the market? And, and and what bets would you be telling them to make? Like, for instance, would you say, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to channel my inner Stan Weinstein. If you said to me, hey, you know what? Avoid the indices. Don't buy index funds because they're tech laden. John Rowe can speak to that later. But, you know, put your money maybe in an energy fund or or, 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 or get your money outside the U.S. or whatever. Again, I'm not asking you to get people a fish. I'm asking you to possibly share your wisdom and teach them how to fish. So what advice, Stanley, would you give to the average person? I guess that's the question. Okay, again, you're asking great question and leading me. You'd be a terrific point guard. And before I even address that, I just want to quickly say anybody who would like to get, you know, to feel that, oh, they have to come in, but anybody would like to see the in-depth report that'll go out tomorrow, all they have to do, so I don't have to bother you, George, just send off to my email address, give me name, I'll see their email address when they send it to me, and put the phone number on it so I can chat with them, and I have a very email, easy email address, it's Stan, very creative, S-T-N, Stan at Global Trend Alert, no spaces, Stan at Global Trend Alert dot net, I'll send out the report, and then the big boys and big girls, they can do what they want with it. Okay, so now let's go. I mean, you th this is such a complex question you're asking, so I don't want to be facile with it. But basically, I had written a couple of months ago, I used it, I always talk in analogous forms, a lot of sports, as you know, because I'm a big sports nut, but also I talk in other analogies. And I said, I've been through this bear market so many times over the decades, and it always repeats itself, although this is, you know, very different in some challenging respects. And I say, I use the analogy at the time of a magician. How does a magician accomplish the trick? He uses misdirection. And you take, you take your eye off it, and then suddenly, boom, there's this trick done. 
I think that applies to the market too. And I warned that the misdirection, because I've seen this in bear market after bear market, was that all of us, and sometimes I got to be honest, you know, present company, me included, that I can be guilty because it's very seductive, that the misdirection is that the market becomes so oversold and looks so juicy from a trading point of view. And these moves, short-term moves are so seductive that people take their eye off the trick and they forget the bear market they're in and they become totally fixated on the short-term nonsense. And I'm telling you, again, without naming the guilty, and some of my clients are in there, um, I get calls, you know, the people you know, out of two levels of service. Some people just read me. Other people, you know, don't go to the bathroom without calling me, and they pay obviously much more. Anyway, I see it that they they call hour after hour. And now, whereas the old days, moves were lasted over weeks, over days. Now, sometimes you're getting intraday bull and bear moves within the same day. They, you can play that, but I, I stress over and over again, you've got to keep your perspective and separate the one, which is the short-term junk, from the 10, which is the market's got a problem. And then the other 10 is that this is a different bear market than like when I went through, let's say, something like 1973-74, which was a granddaddy bear market, and everything was an outright sale. This is different. This is, yeah, even though you're in a bear market, obviously aggressive stocks that we put out, they got destroyed and it turned out to be great short sales, even though I think many of them are now temporarily sold out. Um, there still is, as I said before, that bullish component in a lot of oil related, a, a lot of um, other materials, etc. cetera. Um, so it, it's different. But anyway, so I think that what you have to do, if I was to give one bit of advice to somebody who isn't sharp like all the johns and the walters out there is say really first don't let as i said before this short-term seductive sharp near-term moves become your end all and be all but it's you know no matter how many times i say it i know i'm preaching to the choir for the people are sophisticated but so many people are getting sucked in over and over again even though they kind of repeat the words and say, yeah, yeah, you're right. And then they'll call two hours later and talk about selling what they just bought. You really got to say, okay, I can see putting a small amount of money on the side. Boom, we'll do some trading. It's fun. And I think it's, you know, you can be more successful in going to Bellagio. At the same time, you do have to have an overview and know where the stage two long-term is. And that's what you'll see in tomorrow's report. I've extracted out. And I think these numbers, because I'm a data-driven person, kind of sum up the whole market. We have approximately, I think it's somewhat, I put it to bed here, I think 157 potential buy candidates if they're going through 3,500 charts in tomorrow's report. But we've got over, I think it was over 250 or 260 potential sells that should be sold on rally, sell breaking down. And this is very interesting because with all of the wild wiggles and jiggles that we've had, and people told me after we happily I did catch that bottom, you know, three weeks ago on March, you know, 14th, but they said, oh, we're in a new bull market. No, not in a bull market. But the bottom line is that was very tradable, good rally. But the point I want to make is that throughout this terrific rally, and now, let me get this right, in 12 out of the last 13 weeks, 
in each of these weekend reports that I'm putting out, which we publish tomorrow, there have been more sells than buys. You don't have to be a Mensa to know that in week after week, when you have more sells than buys, when you're getting rallies, the termites are at work beneath the market's technical surface. <laughs> Stanley, I love, I can just I have this vision of the termites eating my house or my portfolio. Ay, ay, ay. So, Stanley, can you come back? I want to. I want to bring some questioners in here. I just one more question, and I just want to spell out the order here. Um, I'd like to have uh, after I'm done with my question, we can have Tommy Thornton and then um, uh, John Roke. And anyone else who wants to ask a question, please raise your hand. So, Stan, I want to come back to the question of time. You mentioned you mentioned the sh- short term thing, and, and it's something I've been very focused on as well. And we really haven't had a proper bear market. If you go back to 2020, that wasn't really a bear market. That's really like more like a mistake. If you just put your finger over what happened, you know, it, it, it reversed itself as quickly as, as, it, as it relied. And you, you're old enough to remember when, back in the day, you referenced the 70s. I started my career at Fidelity in 1981. And, then, and we can, I really like Walter Deemer to raise his hand also because he can weigh in on this. He's got some great stories about what it was like back at Putnam. But you know, the old timers would tell you that you, you come into work in the 70s and you would expect the market to go down every day. And it would just grind you down. And the psychological damage uh, that would occur was just really debilitating. And so you've always said to me in the past, I remember you say, you know, something's overboard, you can have a bear market in time, bear market in price. But the fact that we've had these, it's almost as if the authorities have, 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 have King Canute-like fashion, have outlawed bear markets. And so the pain is very temporary. And then and then we go right back to what we were doing before, which is buying, you know, so you're saying there's a chance. As opposed to maybe a less, uh, uh, it doesn't have to be such a sharp descent, but longer in duration, grinding down type of bear market. So, for instance, you know, I was very big in the Japanese market in the 80s. I mean, that's the proper bear market. That went from 39,000 on the Nikkei the last day of 89 to 7,000 somewhere in the OOs. And, you know, here we are at 25,000, wherever you are. So, Stanley, from, from where you look at it, man, I know you don't do point and figure, but you have your own way of looking at it. How does the element of time, the fact that it's been so compressed, what is what has that done to the market? What has it done to investor attitude? And, and it has, and, and, and doesn't it make it more complicated because we have, really haven't had a proper bear market. Again, good question, and I'll answer. I, I don't dodge it, but I really think that's not the most important thing because too many people get hung up in long-term scenarios. And meanwhile, their portfolio gets wiped out if you're going the wrong way, especially in a market that's as volatile. But I do think that, yes, we've had, you know, I, I, I even think that that was a junior bear market back in 2020, where we had from February down into that March bottom, it dropped like 20%. That, that was a quick bear market. Some are quicker than others. You know, I think that that was sort of analogous what took place in 1987, which really September, October, boom, and that was that bear market. And then you took off again. So, you know, time isn't, you know, the only variable. You also have to focus on the intensity. But yeah, like 73, 74 was unbelievable. Um, that was a long-term grinding down thing, which I know somebody like Walt Deemer would know. I went through it. It was un- unbelievable. And happily, that helped make the professional tape reader in those days because Justin and I were bearish throughout that whole two-year period. But that brings up a good point. I can remember, since we're talking about 1973, after the market got 
schmeist and got hit hard. It was like in August of 73, we got a good intermediate bottom. And from there, if you look at the chart, if That's why I hate labels, because if you stayed short and you didn't play it, you lost a lot of money. But when you had a long overview after that nine, 10 week rally was out of the way, the market crashed to new lows. You didn't really bottom until December of 1974. So the bottom line is fine. It's one thing to look at the long term. And I do think that we're still, in some respects, if you want to play this game, but it's not what's going to make you money next week, I think you're in the early stages of this bear market. And all of you out there who are really technically hip, you don't have to do a whole lot more than look, for argument's sake, like at the Dow, uh, chart of the DJI. If you put up the, char the, the chart of the Dow, you'll see that you know, even though you temporarily for a nanosecond moved above the 200 and 150 day moving average, you know, this week and then it moved back below it, the moving averages are still flat. Some people are telling me, hey, Stan, the fact that the moving averages are flat, you're not really in a bear market. Boom, boom. No, I take it differently. I say, oh, the fact that the moving averages are still flat. You're in the only in the second or third inning of you, my sports analogy of this bear market long term. You're still in the early stages. Um, you, you still haven't gotten into the real destructive later stages where you'll see the moving averages starting to go you know, down and start trending lower. So, you know, from a long term point of view, I think that's important. Also, if you take a look, you'll see it was only recently that the 50 day moving averages for the S&P for the Dow violated the 150 and 200, which is not exactly a sign of overall strength, you know, so you're still early in the game. So I still think you want to grind down things. And here's where, even though I'm 100% technical, if you want to put in the fundamentals, don't get into politics here, but I happen to be very conservative. And I think that this administration, forget it, is the worst thing. It's, it's Jimmy Carter, too, except it makes Jimmy Carter look bullish. The bottom, <laughs> line, the, the bo bottom line is, if you really want to synthesize it, you put the bad fundamentals, which the market's been looking past, with the technicals where the termites have been taking more and more out of the market's surface, I think that the, the months ahead and the next year could be very bad. But, you know, people who want to stop, it's one thing. I talk to some guys, I try to mentor them, don't day trade all day long, that's all they do. Okay, yeah. fine. Then there are others that are the other extreme that they just have a long, I'm in a bear market, whatever. And meanwhile, they've gotten their asses whipped in the last three weeks. And, you know, to me, it's like, don't get hung up. And I write this all over and over again. I said, don't get hung up in bull and bear semantics. I'm not telling all of you to be day traders, but I think this is part of the new game. In this new environment, to strictly be a long-term player, to strictly say, I'm in a bear market and you're going to only worry about the months ahead and not to at least make some incremental adjustments. I'm not talking about day trades, but when you see like an important bottom that was put in on March 14th, I think it's a prescription for disaster. So it's kind of like, again, going back to my sports analogy, it's kind of like you need offense and defense on a good football team. You need a little bit of short to intermediate term feeling along with the long term. And now I'll 
you know, get before I turn it back to you, George. Long term, fine. We got a problem. Obvious. Anybody who looks at charts knows that. Intermediate term, it turned positive on March 14th. And I said at that time, first good rally, boom, happily I was right. Then I said I thought it would be range bound. I think that's what it's going to be here. Range bound for the next several weeks, right or wrong. When I'm wrong, it'll stand out like a sore thumb because I don't hedge. I get some of these reports here and I kid around my wife, Rita, said they're going to be right no matter what happens because they've covered six ways to Sunday. So the, bo- <laughs> the, 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 the bottom line is if I'm wrong, it's wrong. I wrote important intermediate bottom, boom. Don't think it. I, I, I remember writing this in the weekend update, the weekend update. I said, not going to be broken, though, in the next several weeks. I'm not talking forever, but I think it not, will not be broken in the next several weeks. Think will be range bound. Boom. Awesome. Now we broke down from the long term, which is a 10. The intermediate term, we'll say, is a 5 on the Richter scale. Now we get down to the 1, even though it's the least important. That's where I get the most calls about literally night and day. I've got some clients in Australia. For them, it's daytime, so they call me at midnight. I tell them it's okay. Stanley, I have to interrupt you, Stanley, which reminds me, you and I used to talk quite frequently a few years back, and you and I used to joke about what I would call the dopometer. You might call them the wrong way, Louis. Well, of course, of course, we're going to keep, they're in the witness protection program. We're not going to mention names. But when you look at the odd lotters, the guys who were like your most valuable clients because you always want to fade what they say, what are those guys saying right now? They're nauseous. They're, they're literally nauseous because they're whipping themselves. And I tell them, stop. You know, there are times that less is best. And I again, I come back to an analogy. I'm not a tremendous gambler, but I like to lay, play a little bit of blackjack. And again, it's the same rules and common sense and blackjack as the stock market. It's money management. And when the deck gets cold, you know, what do you do? You put the chips in your pocket, you walk away from the table, you get a drink. Some of these people, I yell at them, I say, hey, you're not an addict. Take the needle out of your arm. The bottom line is this is the time to walk away from the table and get a drink. And they're day and night trading, trading, even though the deck is not rich. And I watch what they're doing. There. They're whipping themselves like crazy. Right. Okay. That's fabulous. All right. So now let's go to questions. Um, we're gonna, I'll tell you what the batting order is. So first, we're going to have Tommy Thornton, followed by John Roke, followed by Shrub. Good to see you, Tommy. What's up? You got a question for us, uh, Stan? Hey, guys. How's everybody today? Uh, Stan, uh, I was uh, David Gannick's um, uh, lead trader. And uh, remember, at Level Global, we were uh, pretty good clients, and we were the ones that would call you at all hours. That's and in the rearview mirror. I know. Uh, I and I, I will say, I'm just, uh, I, I'm getting such great memories uh, listening to you because of all the little sayings, you know, boom. Uh, you didn't say, you know, oh, that, you know, you, you'd say, oh, guys, don't, don't take that trade. That's like hitting on 16. You know, that would be uh, <laughs> something you would do. You have uh, a good memory. Oh, I, I remember so much. And, you know, the thing is, I, um, I've learned so much from you, Stan, and it's really, something that I hope everyone um, will read your book. It is uh, timeless. And it I actually, on my uh, website, I have your book as one of my favorite books and, and a link to buy. So hopefully you're a bestseller. Uh, I, I will say that, uh, Stan, it's, I'm, I miss you a lot. I, I remember uh, David would say, hey, get Stan on the phone. And we'd get you on the phone. And I, one time, I think you were with your grandkids in, at Disney World, and you were like waiting in line for a ride, and you still took our call and talked about everything you saw in the market. But I think it's really important that um, what you're saying, uh, 
really stuck me or hit me way back. Uh, you're so flexible with the market and with, with stocks and sectors. And, and that I think is the process that everybody needs to learn from you. And I am just, it's just awesome that George can get you on here. And I, um, you know, I, I, I honestly, I, I'm, I'm a little speechless, um, not really knowing where to go with this, uh, but you're a legend. And so um, you, you, you meant a lot to me uh, when I was at uh, Level and we had such great success. And I will say that uh, uh, you were part of it. So thank I you very much. Coming from a professional like you, who I respect, I really appreciate the kudos and thanks. That's really nice. And, and, and Stanley, t Tommy's, you know, he's a, he's a great man and friends. And I think he really, his sentiments really speak for so many of us in the room. I mean, I don't want to you know, get soft on you, but seriously, you've had a huge impact on people. You don't even know most of the people, all right? And so Tommy, I think, really speaks for for so many folks. Tommy, do you want to ask a question or should we go on to John Rook? Uh, Actually, yeah, I do want to ask him a question. Now, my view, Stan, and I like to, when you challenge, or if I can tell you my view and then you challenge it or you sure. say you're right on or you're, you know you're hitting on 16 uh <laughs> i i keep i am I'm, I'm with you that i i believe we're at, we're in a bear market we're we're it's and bear markets aren't easy to trade and usually the harder the market is to trade with these quick rips higher um and then the bottom falls out what's your time frame i don't know i you're like oh don't i can't look long term but what's your time frame if this is like a real bear market? What is your time frame? Great. 12 months? I, yeah, Greg, here we go. Great question. First, I'm not, again, I'm not going to dodge it, but I, I, the here and now to me is more important than my guessing long term. So don't take this to the bank. But I think that we probably have a crappy year ahead of us. That's number one. Number two, um, I think that it's important that you do break down trend by trend. Um, but I, alluded to this a bit saying that I think you're in the early stages, like the second or third inning only of this bear market. So I think it's, if you want to talk long-term, I think you and you're definitely, we're in a total agreement with a bear market. But as I said before, don't get hung up on semantics because you're in a bear market. Hey, we've made a lot of money in the oils being long in the last three months. I've made a lot of money, although I covered it now being short, a lot of these aggressive growth stocks. So I hate to get hung up on labels, but I do think it's important that you do have a feeling of the overview. But I went back, I tried to be specific. That we're A, we're in the early stages. B, and I think it's going to be a while. B, this you have to understand this is a bit of a different animal than just a straight bear. Like I said, 73, 74, granddaddy bear market. Everything was a sale. Blah, 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 blah. It, it may eventually turn out to be that, but I don't like to look around too many corners. Right now, I basically would say one third of the market is still in a, a, a bull market. And you know where I feel. I'm not going to repeat myself ad nauseum. Two thirds is clearly in a bear market. Okay, so we got that. And I think it's going to last a while. Now, I do think even that we're in total agreement to strictly get hung up on the label of bear market and not to address that, hey, the intermediate turned bullish three weeks ago and that, OK, I should be, even if I'm a bear, less short than I was, you know, at that, after that March 14th bottom, I think it's crazy. So the bottom line and, and the next thing is that it's also ridiculous 
this market is moving at warp speed to just stay on labels. I cover the hell out of shorts. And this isn't bragging. It's just reality. Anybody who's, who's been with me knows we made so much money on the short side and all that aggressive crap I put out. But at the same time, now that we've covered that, there are new places. Like I I'd moved the money into the truckers. Go look at the trucking shorts. You can throw a goddamn dart at all my truckers. Just don't do it on Monday morning because we covered some short on Friday. They got destroyed. They, Oh, my God, they killed them. But now th this is what people are making this game harder and being theoretical. That's one thing. I'm a bottom line player. I'm not a theorist. And I, if I look at the charts, I go, fine. I still love the energy. Terrific. Hey, my, my truckers and also I, I hate banks. Banks, terrible. So if we do no more, and this is why I think people overthink things and they make it so difficult. And even we as technicians, I, I sometimes find that we fall into this trap too. You know, the fundamentalists, they fall into it all the time because they can't time anything. So they'll give us BS like, oh, you should only buy long term and average down because there's no way you can time the market. Yeah, right. Okay, they cover it. But even us as technicians, we sometimes a little guilty with, okay, we put a broad brush on, we're in a bear market. Fine, you're in a bear market. But you know what? I think a lot of like I covered the short and the shop, S-H-O-P, and the PayPal, P-Y-P-L. I don't care if it's going lower. Those are oversold shorts. At the same time, I think it's insane to still say short those when on the next rally, look at all, anybody who gets to report tomorrow, see it. Look in the next two weeks, the next rally. I think that it's so easy to make a lot of money shorting up the truckers. They look like junk. So short them up and then. Boom. Also, not as aggressively, but short up as your rally, Bank America, J.P. Morgan. I think we make the game harder than it has to be. And sometimes we over intellectualize instead of just being a pragmatist and saying, hey, what looks good? I'll sell you know, I'm going to buy it coming in. What looks like crap? I'll sell it going up. And hey, at some point, if the market turns into like 73, 74, that'll be different. This is not 73, 74. This is a hybrid market. Awesome, Stanley. By the way, Stanley, just um, before we go to the next question, someone just asked me back channel, could you slowly please repeat uh, your company's email address? So they want to send you an email. Sure. Here we go. Stan, very creative, S-T-A-N, Stan at Global Trend Alert. No spaces. Stan at Global Trend Alert. Make sure it's .net. .net, otherwise it'll be lost in cyberspace. Yeah, how did you get stuck with .net instead of .com? Don't ask me. That's what I have staff for. Uh, <laughs> all right, fine. All right, let's now go to, um, we're going to do John Roke, followed by Shrub. Hey, John. Are you there, John? Hi, Stan. Uh, hi, John. Stan. Hi, George. Thanks very much. So, Stan, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull the age card here. Um, I remember when you were one of the elves on Louis Rukeyser's Wall Street Week, which was always a pleasure um, to hear your opinions. But I also remember uh, you as a guest on Louis Rukeyser. That was uh, kind of a, a special treat. And um, so um, I, I hope to, you know, stay in touch with you forever. And um, I have a few questions for you. So here goes. I hope you don't mind, George, if I, if I hit Stan with three questions. Go for, go for it. Go for it, John. Go for it. Okay. Joe, uh, Stan, the first question is, I, I know that you don't get caught up on semantics, and, and I happen to agree, um, but if you were Rip Van Winkle and you woke up today and you asked me, 
John, how are Bank America, Citigroup, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, and Morgan Stanley doing? And I said to you, they all look like they're sales on my work. What would that tell you about the overall market? Stop. Let's do one at a time. And, John, you know how I respect you. Great, great question. That would tell me, hey, we better be careful. We all know the game. When the financials look bad, that's not exactly a sign of overall strength. A. The second corollary, before we go on to your second question, but a corollary to that is it, it also reinforces what I said earlier in this review here, which is that it's almost mindless. I put out this cell, another group that we shorted the crap out of, were the home builders. I'm telling you, you go take a look. I defy you, actually, maybe you can find one, but I defy you to go through the charts and tell me, oh, here's some good home builders. Some are worse than others. But this is what this market is about now. There's not a lot of intellect going on. When the home builders are bad, boom, they sold every home builder. When the financials are bad, well, not the financials, but the banks, boom, they're selling all the bank-related stocks. The truckers are bad, they're selling all the truckers. Um, even the J.B. Hunt, which until recently, that hadn't been on my sell list, the others all were. Now they attack J.B. Hunt, too. I'm telling you, that's telling us two things. The group sucks, and it's not long-term very good for the market okay thank you um my second question is and uh you 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 hit it um when you wanted to sell um you know all those software stocks in the early days of this decline and a lot of those guys are certainly have been uh down a ton and washed out what does it tell you now that the deterioration is migrating into the semi-space with stocks like <laughs> Analog devices, AMD, uh, uh, KLAC, LAM Research, LSCC, Corvo, Teradyne, uh, Taiwan Semi, and Texas Instruments also deteriorating here. I'm telling you, you could have gotten me to sleep a little earlier last night if you'd come over here and help me write the update. That's all in the update. Yeah, I'm kidding around with you, but yeah, that's you know the rotation that's going on, and that's what the termites are doing. And that, that's my point. Too many people don't understand the rotational nature of this tape. And they try to go A to Z. And I keep writing ad nauseum, this is not an A to Z monolithic tape. Yes, now they're starting to roll over and break down the semis, which again is a two-part answer. A, bad for the overall technical underpinnings longer term of the market. B, why stay short, for argument's sake, in a PayPal, which you already made 50, 60 percent, and now is so oversold. And it's what I call a 4B. A is early in my stages. B is late. It's a 4B. Hey, I want to do like semis, which is 3B. Some of them are early in the topping phase, which is stage three. Some are 4A, which is early in the breakdown stage four. Yeah, great question. So the bottom line is that's A, a longer term problem in market. The termites are getting more and more sectors. B, from a tactical point of view, I'm a pragmatist. That's what I care about. That's more where you should be looking to short now rather than PayPal. Okay, thank you. And so here's my, here's my third question. And give me a chance to set it up, please. So um, I, I know that you're long and have been promoting uh, natural resource-related stocks. So we'll just use that as the – or commodity-related equities. I'll, I'll, I'll use that. Uh, nomenclature. There have been, I think, um, as as far as I could tell, four prior commodity bull markets. They last on average about 15 years. And over your career, 
you would have seen the 68 through early 80s version, and then you would have seen the 1999 through 2011 version. Do you stop to think, given how many of the commodity-related equities are on your buy list, that we have entered into another commodity bull market? And if it is so, that it tends to last for a long time. Okay, see, great question again. But here, John, you know how I respect you. But here's where I have a slight difference with you. I don't mean to brag, but one of the things that's helped me establish a good record over the many decades is I try not to look around too many corners. Okay. And instead of predicting, I like to evaluate as the cards come out of the deck. So I'll definitely say you and I are on the same team. Yes, you know from my work, I've been bullish on that for a couple of months. But rather than saying, oh, I know it's going to be two years, three years, I don't know. I know it's not going to end next week or next month. And, and you know, my approach is, hey, I'm going to be bullish until I turn bearish. A perfect example, going back to 1973, 74, when Justin and I were writing the professional tape reader, and that made us of the day. We started out when we put out that sell in January of 73. We had three or 400 clients. By January 75, we had like five, 6,000 clients because we caught the bear market and we stayed bearish the whole time. But the point I want to make is when we put out that sell in January, I honestly thought in my heart of hearts, we all think things. You just shouldn't take it to the bank. I thought, hey, we got a crappy five or six months ahead of us. Happily, because I follow my system, which I'm bearish until I turn bullish. Or I'm bullish until I turn bearish. We stayed long-term bearish the whole friggin' two years. And then, boom, December, there was a divergence between the railroads and the DJI. January 75, boom, we turned bullish. You know, I didn't know that it was going to be two years. But the methodology made me stay bearish. Well, my answer to you is, hey, you're right. I think it's going to be long, but I'm not smart enough, nor do I care, because I'm a bet. I'll be honest, I'm a better trader than an investor, you know. And the bottom line is, I don't have patience to worry about two years, three years, five years. I'm happy if I'm making money six weeks down the road. So the bottom line is that, boom, you're right. It's good long term, and I'll stay bullish, as I know you will too, until it turns bearish, and it is going to be for a while. But I don't know if it's going to be a year, two years. Right. I don't yeah. know. I got it. All right. Great question. All right. Thanks, John. everybody. Thanks, John. All right. So, Stanley, um, we're now going to have um, we're going to have uh, Shrub, followed by uh, Tony Greer, followed by Alan Levinson, followed by Michael Cantwood. So, Stanley, you have you have brought out the sharpest guys on the street. I mean, this is the draw of Stanley Weinstein. All right. Shrub, how you doing, man? You got a question for Stanley? I'm good, George. Thank you so much for having me. Stan, uh, I'm a great fan, and I'm very grateful I discovered your book because I come from a fundamental background. Uh, I used to run hedge fund uh, portfolios for the last uh, 15 years, uh, and I come from a fundamental background, so this technical image uh, from your book was actually an eye-opener and it improved my performance and saved me uh, quite a lot of time. Congratulations that you're now going straight. <laughs> well done. Thank so, you very so, much, so, sir. So, so, Shrub, you can't, I'm sorry. Stanley, I know we got to stay politically correct here, but what Shrub's really telling you is he came out of the closet. He now goes <laughs> So I want to take you – by the way, I'm uh, – to your point about the market now, I'm, it's, the first, it's the first time that I'm so invested while I'm convinced it's a bear market. I've been public about it for the last six months. I'm you know, fully invested commodities energy, short tech. But it, it doesn't feel... And look feel... at how great that's been for you. You yeah. see, that's why great. you're yeah. playing the game right. I'm going to just uh, stay along with it until it doesn't work, right? That's right. what we learn. <laughs> 
So I want to take you to my favorite chapter in your book, which I have in front of me. I have your book uh, close to my desk, and unfortunately, my kid drew over your face, so I apologize on his behalf. He's three years old, four years old now. Um, <laughs> so my favorite chapter is chapter eight, using the best long-term indicators to spot bull and bear markets. And you have, a ch you have a, the charts of the bear market tops and how tops follow the 30-week moving averages. Right. And what's really interesting about that chart, it's that if you look at today, um, the, the NASDAQ just from the lows of the March, of March, it just rallied up and then just bounced down, reversed down on the 30-week uh, moving average. So I thought that was a very interesting point, if you don't, want to, if you don't mind commenting uh, as, as a data point that we yeah, have. Yeah, that's, that's great. You know what? Let me just tell you. So you're so sharp. And that's it. We all make the game harder than it has to be. Go back to what you just said. As you're talking, I just put the chart up here. We should all look together at the NASDAQ.com and put on that chart. It doesn't matter, 30 weeks, 40 weeks. I have on my chart 150 and 200-day moving average, which is basically a 30 or 40-week moving averages. And look how in textbook fashion, that's when we put out short-term, not long-term. We put out the latest short-term sell on the market. Look how it failed in textbook fashion, one inch below the 200-day moving average, unbelievable, you know? <laughs> I know. Unbelievable in textbook fashion. Because, and you know, I'm glad that we're having this uh, chat because uh, when George said that uh, he's having you on the spaces, I actually opened the book in that particular page and then I compared it with today's image and it was like, oh my God, Stan could have taken this image and put it in the book today. <laughs> Right, exactly. And, you know, and that's the old BS where they say history doesn't repeat, it rhymes, whatever. It, it, history does repeat. And, you know, and I'm asked this over and over again by so many people. I, I, don't, I don't do many interviews anymore. But Andrea, oh, Stan, I know you have all these theories, whatever, but do they still work in this market? And I say, you know what? It still works because supply and demand is supply and demand, and they just sped up the market to a ridiculous degree. But look how after all is said and done with all the BS they throw at us, boom, it's still failing where it's supposed to fail it just is happening so fast and like i said earlier what we used to see happen over weeks now literally happens in days and a, a few hours into days there you go. hey shrub thanks thanks for that thank I'm you so much george yeah, yeah, thanks Dan. i want to do tony greer then alan levinson and then michael kantrowitz and then jeff garbaz that's the biting order so tony welcome uh what the floor is yours tony Thank you, George. Thank you, uh, Stan. Thank you for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. I'm a big fan of your work. Thank you. I'm I, having I, a blast. This is fun. Yeah, it sure is, isn't it? I, I agree very much with your views of the Nasdaq and stuff. I'm a, I'm a big commodity trader, and I look across. Um, even though commodities have rallied so sharply, you know, with the BCOM Bloomberg Commodities Index up 25 percent or so in the first quarter of the year. Um, when I look across the inventories, across you know everything from natural gas to crude oil to, you know, LME warrants across the metals. Inventories are really low. So I see a continuation of this commodity rally. I'm curious, what do you think happens with the bond market? How do you think that works out? You know, I feel like the 10-year yield chart, you know, the Raoul Powell's chart of truth is kind of the trend is breaking to the upside. Do you think that has legs or I just want to know your thoughts on bonds? Thank you very much, by the way. Oh, first of all, th thank you. Again, you're better in terms of the bonds than I am, but I'll just tell you, 
I, and this this plays well for me. People will often say, do you follow bonds? Do you follow gold? I say, there's a chart. I can follow it. So I'll just tell yeah. you, we, we put out a sell on the bonds. Those who follow me know we put out that sell back in December. When you look at your bond chart, you'll see like the TLT broke below first. The 50. Yep. It went sequentially. It broke the 50, then the 150. After having been bullish on bonds into November, and this is why I don't like to look around too many corners. If I'm doing my job right, I'm doing less predicting and more being a good reporter and evaluating. And the bonds look at how they went from the penthouse to the outhouse. Hey, they were okay. Oh, they broke below the 50. I had guys reduce. Oh, they broke the 150. We're getting in more trouble. They broke the 200 there in December. It's done. And now it's been in stage four ever since. But you notice you had a couple of good rallies along the way. And I think scalping-wise, even though I don't play much bonds, some of my guys do. I had them trim the short in the TLT the other day. I think you put in a trading bottom there, short term, near that 127, 128, 127, 128 area. Yeah, and you know, oversold is oversold. You can get a bounce, but the long term bonds are terrible. I think they go lower, but hey, you know, nothing goes straight down. And so right. I think that, you know, the same way that the even the glamour, the glamour average I follow, you know, had a rally, you'll get a rally. But long term, until I get back into at least stage one and make a stage one base, bonds, excuse the expression, they suck. <laughs> I agree. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah so yes, we, we, message received, Stanley. All right, let, let's move ahead now. And by the way, Stan, just so you know, I mean – I've had a number of uh, back channel requests. People, you know, they're going to be emailing you. So you've definitely woken some people up. All right. So let's now go to, uh, we're going to do Alan Levinson, then Michael Kantrowitz, and then Jeff Garbaz. Alan, the floor is yours. Hi, Stan. I just want to let, to let you know that listening to you is like penicillin to my ears. Um, <laughs> your, an- the, your answer to John Roke, to his last question, was brilliant along the lines of my one of my favorite poems. I'll just repeat the first line. Keep walking, though there's no place to get to. Don't try to see through the distances. That's not for human beings. So I love anyway, it. Right, I, I, I love and, it. And I think we're, we're all bringing out the best of each other. Because let's face it. We're all pretty sharp. We can all make money in the market. But at the end of the day, we also have to have some fun that's what this journey is all about. And I think that it's really, from my end, and I hope I'm bouncing it back to you all, a pleasure to meet like-minded people. Well, let's face it, nine out of ten people I can't even talk to because you know that they're lemmings. It's nice when you really can have a rap session with somebody else who gets it. Totally. All right. So, Alan, what's, what's your question for Stanley? Okay. So, the first, the, the one thing I want to say to you that you say you're not a gambler. I am a gambler. And I am a handicapper. So the art of handicapping is weighing variables correctly. Right. Okay. So there's one variable that I look at that I don't think anyone else looks at. And I'm curious as if to you look at this variable at all, variable at all. And that's the commitment of traders report. I got to be honest. Not really. Okay. Well, the, 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 just the one significant thing that I saw two weeks ago was in that five-day rally where you had the biggest rally um, in a long time, eight nine percent. Right. The commercial, the commercial hedgers, which have been short since the beginning of the year with a record short position, not only have they covered their short position, 
but two weeks ago into a rally, which they almost never do, they got long. And that's kind of concerning to me as someone who's generally very bearish. That's all I have to say or ask. First of all, you bring some, see, I always like to get additional input. You bring some good input to the table, so that's great. And I'm sure you see, you're successful with your handicapping, and you see the same good techniques that you use to handicap. I think in the stock market, people get annoyed when I liken the market to blackjack, but really it's the same money management when things are hot, they're not hot, risk reward, you know, and I tell people, you know, that when I think they're making a stupid bet, like you said to me, oh, get, I used to kid around, that's getting hit on 16 and blackjack. To me, we don't think about it. If you are playing blackjack and you say, oh, I've got 11, the dealer's got six, you don't think about it. You may lose that hand, but the odds are you're going to win most times if you double down. The market is really not that different. If we buy good stage two, in a good sector, yeah, once in a while we'll be wrong. Okay, we have to handle that. We'll get out when it breaks down. But you'll win most times. But I watch so many people buying stage four crap, and then they end up losing, and they end up blaming either their broker or their wife. Stan, I just want to say to you, the last thing I just want to say is the name of my entities, all of my entities are called overlay, and that's a gambling slang for meaning positive expected value. Thank, it, thank you, Alan. Much appreciated. It all works together. Awesome. All right. So now we're going to go to Michael Kantrowitz and then Jeff Garbaz. Michael, good to see you. What's up, man? Hey, George. Uh, my eyes lit up when I saw, saw Stan Weinstein's name. Uh, I'm, I'm 41. I've been uh, working on Wall Street since, uh, for 20 years. And it was Stan's book, literally, that was the first thing that turned me on to Wall Street 25 years ago. So uh, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart, Stan. Uh, because first, really first of all, passion. thank you. Even though I'm almost double your age, I really appreciate that. Well, uh, thank you so much. Um, so the question I have for you, uh, and, if, and uh, I'm, I'm blushing because I feel like I am talking to a legend. So it's, again, I'm, uh, I'm so honored to speak with you. As a technician, I'm a, I'm a portfolio strategist. So we're, we're always uh, playing the game of trying to explain the why uh, it, whether we're trying to forecast something, thinking about what, what's the next rotation from a macro perspective. And I was, I've always been somewhat jealous of technicians because they always, uh, I, many of the ones I've worked with have always said, well, I don't care about the why. It's just I see what I see on the tape, and, and that's what's going to drive my decisions. Uh, so over your career, as you know, the information flow is just accelerated and accelerated and things have moved faster and faster, have you found yourself ever uh, focusing on or being curious about the why or how does that play a role in your process if any not really i find that where i've probably made more mistakes is when i try to do what you're asking me and you get into why i tr i really think that you should be the ultimate pragmatist and strictly look at what the market and the stocks are telling us and that's why those of you who in another, another lifetime used to read the professional tape reader what did I have in the upper left-hand corner of each issue of the tape reader said, the tape tells all. And I really think that's true. And I can't tell you how many times. Now it doesn't happen because we know that, you know, oh, the SEC and they come in. But I remember back in the 80s where, and I had a chapter in the book when I wrote it, it doesn't work anymore because of, you know, oh, they, they put people in jail now. But we had so many takeovers that, ha and we honestly didn't know. The SEC came in, boom, you know, had a, probably eight, nine 
stocks that we had recommended. Then several weeks later, they were takeovers. We were just following the system. And I would tell them when they come in, you didn't have to be a genius. If the stock for argument's sake traded 10,000 shares a day and it broke out to $12 and suddenly instead of 10,000, it was trading 150, 200,000. Somebody knew something. I was just tagging along. Well, it's the same. And now it's a whole different game. But anyway, it's the same thing here. So I really think, you, sh- you know, it's nice if, you're, if it makes you curious and intellectually curious. But to me, I care less about why. Again, I just care about what is. And what I find you know, you suddenly find out, oh, there was a reason why that happened. You know, it, it, it's, it's amazing. But I, I spend much less time worrying about why. I just worry about, hey, I'm ready to be wrong in the next uptick or downtick. Yeah. So Stan, that, that, that's really profound wisdom, which is lost on a lot of people. So let, let's move on. This is really, Stan, I can't thank you enough. Everyone's really, really enjoying this conversation. I'm glad you are as well. As you can see, it's a sort of curated group of self-selecting, you know, financial crazies who eat, breathe, and, <laughs> eat, breathe, and sleep the stock market like you. So it's kind of like birds of a feather. So I'd like to bring in a couple other questions here, please. Um, so I think next up is Jeff Garbaz. And then, we're, and by the way, Walter Deemer's in the audience. Uh, Walter, if you'd raise your hand, I'd love for you to come in here. I've tried to, I don't know if you're listening or not, but it'd be great to, to listen to you and um, Stan push the ball back and forth. So Walter, if, you, if you'd come up, that'd, that'd be absolutely awesome. At any rate, let's go, let's go to Jeff Garbaz, and then we're going to do Mr. Wu. So Jeff, good to see you. What's up, man? Hey, thanks, George. Hey, Stan, great to, uh, to hear your voice again. We had uh, lunch tw- about 20 years ago at your country club. I don't right. remember it. Came in and visited. Right. And uh, it's awesome to hear you. Um, I have two questions for you. The first question I have is back to March 14th. You know, we, we looked like we might have had a bottom in February and also in January, but they didn't materialize. What is it that you look for off of a bottom that gets you more convinced that it's got legs to it? Um, that's my first question for you. I got one more after that. But let's let, let's do let's do one at a time. As I yep. get older, hey, I got to just remember and focus on one thing at a time. Here we go. I think that if you take a look, um, but, you know each you know each one we had good. We actually had three good bottoms there. If we're talking as traders, and three good bottoms, and you had three good rallies going back into January. But the one, if you take a look. The one that we spoke about on March 14th, that had a couple of interesting facets to it. A, if you're looking at the S&P, it was higher than that shakeout in late February. That was one. Two, which I remember writing about at the time, if you looked, even though, oh, yeah, a lot of my shorts and the technologies got smoked, um, you had less new, significantly less new lows. And that's an important short to intermediate term clue you know, than you did in the prior ones. So I think that was important. But now, if you look at the chart of the S&P, uh, you know, people, are, I, a lot of the times I feel schizophrenic because I'm telling some people who told me, you're wrong, it's going to right away crash to new lows. I'm not saying I always going to be right, but I didn't think it was so, it was my indicators were oversold enough. I felt that was a good bottom, less new lows, yada, yada. Boom, we got the rally. Then on the other side of the equation, other people telling me, you're wrong, we've started a new bull market. I heard the same thing in the summer of 1973. Forget it. You know, I, I don't think we're in a new bull market. But again, I don't care. I, I just know where I want to be long and short. But if you take a look at this chart of the S&P, 
it's really like, and this is what I've been writing, I think you're now going to be range-bound for a while because you put in that good bottom, but you have a lot of overhead resistance. You're also, at this point, despite the terrific rally that all the, you, you see these guys who are on CNBC, and they always say the only way you can watch that stuff is really to have it with the sound off or it's going to cost you money. You're telling you, yeah, new bull market, whatever. You're in the kind of a zone now. And despite this fine rally, my S&P and secondary surveys, my proprietary indicators showing the percentage of stocks that are technically healthy, even though there's been improvement, it's moved up. I'm going by memory. I just wrote it. I think it's like up to like 45% of the S&P is now favorable, 55% unfavorable. I don't consider it long-term bullish until you get above 70 percent so there's two factors here a it's reinforcing my intermediate call yeah cool um long-term no it's not a new bull market but again don't get hung up boom you're in a zone and i think short term you're going to chop around and there's some good and there's some bad that was the second question yeah so the second question is um we've seen the small cap really underperform and it started underperforming a lot earlier in the process. And do you feel that, and uh, that there's a better than 50% chance that when we have these bear markets, that not necessarily every single index has to go into a bear market, or do you feel that ultimately every index has to go into a bear market? Good question. I think they're already all in a bear market. I think the next question is, which I thought you were going toward, will some come out of it ahead of others? Yep. All of them. And you, ra you raised a very good point. I really think, even though I didn't turn officially, and I told people at the time, don't get hung up on my official bear market call, because that really wasn't until late December, early January. But if you take a look, I think that a lot of the bear market started, what you're alluding to, if you put up the chart of the RUT, the Russell, it started mid-November. You had that last run to the roses in the Russell in the mid-November, mid, yeah, mid-November there, and then it quickly hit the retro rockets and broke below the 50, the 150, and it was tanking, and that was an important, important sign of an important divergence taking place, while at the same time, you had that phony so-called new all-time high in the first couple of days of January with the S&P. I'm a big divergence believer, and that was such a divergence with the S&P at a new high that Russell was already at that point, not only well below its high, it was breaking it back below its 200-day moving average. So that was it. Now, I think what's going to happen, I, again, but don't take this to the bank, I think it's going to be almost like accounting, first in, first out. The Russell got hit the hardest first. I see when I go through my charts, and you'll notice any of you who get tomorrow's issue, um, it's in there. I've got my my normal stage one and stage two long-term buys, but I'm also giving trading oversold, sold out, what I call four Bs, late stage four stocks that I think are trades for four to six weeks, not to buy for six months. And I think a lot of that stuff is in the secondary area, which got destroyed since the November top. Great. Can I, can I, George, can I add a third question? I'm giving you an okay. Add it. Okay. Okay. Great. So, one of the things I do a lot of work on is, uh, is shorting. And so, like, 
this, the, the temptation is to take a stock like, say, Toll Brothers, which is now near like a 52-week low, and to short it. But the way this market has become, there's the reversion to the mean trade that's done, and a lot of times those things just refuse to break to new lows. What are, what are things you look at for a stock that's kind of near a 52-week low that would give you a sign that it's going to break below that and like drop another 20%? Another great question. First of all, let me slice and dice this. We happily put out a short on Toll and all the home builders. You'll sit yourself in January, broke the 20-day moving average. It's great. Now, if again, rather than hypothesizing, if it closes cleanly below 47, yeah, it's going to no low. But even if it does, I would just ride the short. I wouldn't. Right. So uh, to everybody who's in the room, I'm sorry this happened. Um, we have a technical issue. Um, I'm going to make, um, let's see here. Alan Levinson, if you could please co-host right now, because I'm trying to get Stanley back into the room. Uh, or O'Hare, if you could please co-host. I'm sending you all invites. Uh, O'Hare or Alan, if you got that, please accept the co-host invitation. Um, okay, O'Hare. Oh, oh, Let's see. O'Hare, you're, you're co-hosting. Could you please run the room while I'm trying to get Stanley back in? You got that co-host? O'Hare, you got it? Unmute yourself, O'Hare. Yep, I got you. O'Hare. Okay, fine. Yep, can Just you run me? the room for a second. I'm trying to get Stan back in. Just run yep. the room, please, okay? Okay, got gotcha. you. All right. Yep. All right, so we're just on standby trying to get Alan back or uh, Stan back in the, in the room here. So let's just uh, be a little patient. Well, we have some dead air time. I think it's interesting if I... I could. I love the blackjack analogies. In the '90s, we took a a uh, my team up, and we would specifically play, you know, basic strategy on the hundred dollar table, not to make money or whatever, but to manage our emotional when the markets went against us. And I think it's a good analogy, you know, to just you know work through the ups and downs. You're basically. Uh... Repeating the question that I wanted to ask Stan. I just found, I found his book was a counterbalance to me feeling that I was absolutely positively correct in what was going to happen. And when it didn't, um, my ego took some really bad hits and I usually made more mistakes after that. And after, you know, going through his book and taking let's just say as a trader my associates and my boss at times um a proctologist exam with a telephone pole without vaseline would have been less painful on my ego um than what they put me through and uh the stan george some of the other people you know basically got around to pointing out that you know don't be so egocentric about being right. Be ready to change your mind. And when you're wrong, admit you're wrong. Get the hell out of the way of the market or whatever else is going to pound on you. And uh, just eat your ego. And if you're wrong, you're wrong. That's life. And one of the things even today dealing with a lot of younger people and people in the market, one of the things I run into constantly is people wondering why I, I just seem to be able to admit I'm wrong and or I press people to, to disprove my thesis uh, is because the harder, the more assured, the more absolutely I feel I'm right, 
the more I can lose really fast in this market. Right. So hold on. Oh, here. I think we're good. We got Stan back. Stanley, can you hear me? Stanley? Hello, can you hear me? Yeah, we got you. Sorry did, did about I that. Did I tell you that, that we should have two Dixie cups and a string? <laughs> That's fabulous. All right, so Stanley, I don't know where we were, but I think Jeff Garbaz was in, was asking his third or fourth question, and I'm going to get Jeff to tee it back up where we were. And then, Jeff, after you, we're going to have Mr. Wu. So, Jeff, the floor is yours. I'm sorry about that, Jeff. Jeff, what's up? You got your viewers speaking. Uh, no problem. So we got cut off, and actually I'm uh, I'm heading out. I need to get in the pool before the uh, end of the day and do some yards. But um, Good investing. So back, so back to the back to the whole short thing. Um, the most profitable shorts are like the nifty fifty type stocks or the mem- momentum type stocks because ultimately they go down the most. What you look for after stock's been going up for also for a really real period of time, and then it starts to kind of fall apart. What what are key things you look at there? I'm I'm curious about the other side of the uh, of the short equation. On what, okay, know. fine. That, that, that's great. That's great. That, that, that's a good incremental question. And that's what I call watch for stocks if you want to be early. I never want to catch the top tick or the bottom tick. That's for liars. And, you know, even when you luck out, it takes too long for it to go your way. But the bottom line is, let's say something is late stage 2B. B is late in the stage. And then it starts to no longer move ahead. It's starting to churn. And the earliest sign is you break below the 50-day moving average. I have clients start getting rid of their longs, reducing longs. But if you want to be the first kid on the block, you can put a toe in the water on the short side. And then you move incrementally. You got to crawl before you walk. And then you start later on breaking below the 150, the 200, become more aggressive. Also, again, as I said before, get the group behind you. If you're in a sector, which I know you're negative on, we're negative on, the whole, that's another thing. I, I call it guilt by association. When you start to see, like when we put out the sell in the home builders or the truckers, it was one after the other after the other. So when you see your individual stock is breaking down, the, especially if there's an ETF for the sector is rolling over, hey, you know that that's the way to look. Okay, great. Thanks for your uh, your uh, answers. They're awesome. Awesome. That, that that's awesome. But thanks, Jeff. Always good to hear from you. So, oh, here, am I on an echo reverberation, or is it okay? Nope. You're you sound good. You sound good. All right. Cool. All right. Okay. So so let, let's go to Gilberto. We're gonna do Gilberto and then Gnostic. Gilberto, you got a question for Stan? Yes, I do. Thank you, George, for this opportunity, Stan. Thank you a lot for, for your time and for sharing the oral tradition of trading with us. I have two questions. First, taking full advantage of your experience in the markets, what time period will you say is more likely to reflect what we are living today? That's the first question. And the let's, second let's question... Let's do one at a time. Let's do one at a time. That's a really good question. Um, I, you know, th- I think we're living history. So I don't, there are sometimes I'll take a look. Oh, that reminds me, like for argument's sake, when we had that quick hit in February, March of 2020, that reminded me of 1987. I think this is really not analogous to exactly what we've seen before. Um, maybe something like late 70s going into early 80s, which was sloppy and, you know, 
whatever, and commodities are strong there. But I think it's less important because this is, we're really living, I think, a very different, challenging environment. And I think it's somewhat of a mistake to try to pin it down to, oh, this was like that, and then it's going to follow that. I think what we should really do is just know we are living one of the more challenging markets. I don't mean to be histrionic, but that I've seen in my 50 plus, 55 plus years of playing markets, this is really difficult. So let's not make it harder. Let's just focus on, we know we have a long-term problem. We know we put in an intermediate bottom. We know we're probably going to be range bound. We know that there's some good stuff that on corrections, I would still be buying like an energy commodities. We know there's still a lot of bad stuff. And we especially have to focus on the bad areas like on rallies, home builders, banks, truckers, you know, semis at first joining the negative parade. We should really do that, in my opinion, more than trying to think like and pin it down. This is exactly like 1973 or this is like, you know, you know, 2008. I, I don't think that's going to be profitable. I think we're living a hybrid that's really challenging. My second question, first, thank you for your answer. And it's going very in, in line with what the impression has given me. And the second question is, and it's inspired in many of the ideas, uh, Professor Plum, Michael Green, who is in the audience, usually talk about passive flows. In terms of how the money is flowing into the indices, how you think these passive flows have changed through the years the behavior of the beer markets. It's possible to affirm that the generals of the NASDAQ has, because of these passive flows, a different way of behaving than in the past? Yeah, that's another great question. There's not a question in my mind. I was alluding before, I think that what you're just saying with the money flows, the ETFs, the fact that we have this instant trading of just pressing a button instead of specialists, so many factors come together. Not a question. It's changed the game and made what I consider to be the new norm. But I'll let you guys, smarter than me in this area, think about why. I just say, hey, it is what it is. Again, being a pragmatist, it's made the game so much faster. I also think the good question that you raise also goes back to what I said earlier, how it's almost mindless when I turn negative on a group or positive on a group, how without them worrying about, oh, that's a good fundamental company, that's a bad fundamental company, they just almost go A to Z within the group. I'm sure that the whole ETF reality, that's affecting it. It all is. But see, I spend less time theorizing why it's happening and like I said, we can bitch and moan as much as we want. I think to a great degree, they ruined what was really the greatest game that we ever had in the world here with this terrific stock market. You know what? Hey, a half a loaf is better than none. This is the way the market is now. I don't love it, but you know what? We got to adjust to it, and I think what you said plays into it. That's fantastic, Sam. Thank you for that, Gilberto. All right, we're going to go back to uh... – Mr. Woodshed, and then a follow-up question from Alan Levinson. Mr. Woodshed, floor is yours. Awesome. George, can you hear me now? Yeah, we got it. You're good now. Go ahead. Awesome, man. Firstly, I just want to say, Stan, it's an absolute pleasure. And George, you're absolutely brilliant. I love how you bring in these old Gs and bring them to Twitter for the first time and let us hear, hear them. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. So really, really well done, man. 
keep it up as well. Um, so I have two questions, if you don't mind, Stan. Uh, first is, can I get your technical view? Look, I I'm a I'm, I day trade Nasdaq futures. That's all. That's the only instrument I really trade. And I've seen it was above the 200-day moving average all the way from the COVID crash at the end of March up until the end of last year. And we've right. backtested it three times this year, three times, including last right. week, and we've failed. So what do you think? Okay, here we go. That's also addressed. Any of you will get my report. It's addressed in I think you, you're obviously a very good trader. And you look, you made an important thing. First, we make the game harder than it has to be. You summed it up perfectly. Look at how throughout the whole rally, even though there were nasty corrections along the way, once we put that bottom in, in back in 2020, after that April bottom, March, late March, early April bottom, once you went above the 200 day, every sharp reaction held above in textbook fashion, above the rising 200 day MA. It was beautiful. And that's why that was the game to play. Then in classic fashion, note how you made a head and shoulder top. It looked like the hunchback of Notre Dame, how you made a head and shoulder top there as you went into late 2021, the beginning of 2022 there. And that's when I think the whole aggressive game ended. We put out the sell on all those aggressive stocks and boom, they killed them. And then now in textbook fashion, you're right, there were three, but this was the best of the three rallies. And look how it failed just two inches below the 200-day MA. So now, you know, as a, especially as a day trader, we put out a sell on those aggressive stocks last Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. I'm sure you saw in your own trading that it got very sloppy on that Tuesday, Wednesday morning time, and we got hit hard. Now, this is strictly trading talk because I'm talking to you as a day trader, so everybody else don't take that too seriously. But I covered for myself and for clients a lot of Q shorts um, and the aggressive stuff on Friday afternoon, I think at 1.30 in the afternoon. And I may be wrong, but I always kid around and say when I'm trading, I shoot first and ask questions later. So the bottom line is, it looked to me like you were putting in a trading bottom. I didn't go long it, but I put in trading bottom, covered a lot of those, those Q shorts. I don't think you're going to get above the 200-day MA, but if you're talking as day trading, A, it'll be easy enough to know if I'm wrong. If the, the comp, which closed at 14,269, closes below, let's make it 14,100, I'm wrong. As a day trader, you'll get two more days. If, which I think two out of three of the odds are, you don't break below that 14,100, I think you'll put in a BS trading bottom here. I'm not going long, but I think there'll be a bounce, and I would not short until they bounce you up. Great. Thanks very much for that. Um, I'd, like to, uh, I'd like to just take a, a brief second here. Stanley, um, I don't think you were aware of this, and some in the room are, but I want to update people on what's going on here. Uh, I mentioned a couple of months uh, in this room that I was thinking of uh, we should uh, devote our energies to charitable endeavors. And there'll be more news coming out on this on this in the next couple of days. But, um, you know, we do this for free. It's just guys trying to help each other. No one has a monopoly on the truth. And the number of wonderful compliments I've gotten from people saying this is fantastic, bringing people like Stan into the room. Nobody pays for this. Stanley does it because he's, he's a good guy, as all the others that have been here, John Roke, you know, Mark Newman, et cetera, et cetera. So what we're going to be doing um, is they were setting up a YouTube channel. So all these recordings of these rooms will be uploaded to the YouTube channel. And at the same time, um, we're going to be uh, enabling people. We're going to have a link to a charity um, that 
people say, you know, I've had numerous folks DM me saying, George, you know, this is wonderful. What's your favorite charity? I want to give some money to a charity in your honor, et cetera, et cetera. So we have selected a charity. Um, it's got universal appeal. It's apolitical. It's World Central Kitchens, actually. It gets a very high efficiency rating from, uh, in terms of, in terms of uh, you know, what they do with their money. Anyway, the charity is going to be World Central Kitchens. Uh, this should be up within the next uh, 24, 48 hours. It's going to look kind of primitive and, and authentic and raw, just like our rooms are. Uh, it's not going to be fancy, uh, but you're going to have all the recordings of the past rooms up there, and you're going to have a link to give to World Central Kitchen. And by giving through that link, um, they will let us know how much our rooms have raised. And if you're concerned, as I am, about the horrible things that are going on uh, in the Ukraine, um, you know, we all want to give back. I know we're all so busy, but we're all very fortunate in this room. We have money. You know, this is a high-class problem to have. We're talking about how to protect our net worth or increase our net worth. I don't think it's too much of an ask. None of it goes to me. It's going to go to a charity. I think this is going to revolutionize what's going on on Twitter. No one has, you know, the scalability of Twitter and, and, and the way you can reach so many people. Um, I think we're going to raise millions of dollars. But as Stan would say, you have to walk before you run. I'm involved in this uh, bike ride, this annual bike ride in Massachusetts. It's been going on for uh, 40 years now. It's called the Pan Mess Challenge. It started out with 10 guys riding across the state of Massachusetts to raise money for one of the fellow's mothers. She had passed away from cancer. Um, so they wanted to raise money for the Dana-Farber Institute. I think the first year they raised $20,000. Here we are 40 odd years later, and I kid you not, I think they raised over 50, five zero, 50 million dollars last year, all for Dana Farber Cancer Institute. And so, um, you know, we're in a very fortunate position. Um, I do this for free. Stan does this for free. Mark Newman does this for free. I mean, John Roke does this for free. Everybody's coming in this room. Michael Green and Michael Cantrowitz, we're going to have you speak one of these days, too. And it's all going for a good chair, good cause. I think we can raise, you know, millions and millions of dollars. So it's a start. But Stan, I just want to let you know that, you know, it's it's from content, it's, it's content, it's people that make makes guys come to this room. I think we have the best rooms, period, bar none, on Twitter. This is the real deal. Uh, and so, Stanley, I thank you for your contribution. I just want to give everybody a heads up uh, that's in this room that we're going to have a YouTube uh, site up and running within a couple of days. So. Enough with the commercial message. Uh, Mr. Woodshed, did you have another question? Or I, did, I did. Thanks, man. Stan, I know you're a technical guy, but I have to ask you a macro question because you traded in the 70s and 80s and not many have, right? So what do you think of Paul Volcker and what he did? And how does it compare to the modern-day Fed? And what was it like to trade trade back then? And look, I, I was a kid then, but I knew what he did you know, eventually stopped the inflation problem. But my dad also lost his house, right? Because the interest rate and he couldn't keep up with payments. So a lot of people got hurt as well. So I'd be interested to know what you think. Okay, well, don't take my opinion here as seriously as the technicals, but I am interested in politics to quite a degree. I think, unfortunately, we could use Volcker back now. Don't even get me going on Powell. I think he's a lightweight. Um, and, you know, he's so behind the times. He's so slow. He, he would first be buying when the stock is going into stage four. <laughs> Stanley, Stanley, since we're all sports guys, you know, uh, there's a, there are a lot of Fed watchers out there. And I, I think it's a waste of time because I don't think anyone has a particularly good idea what the Fed's going to do. Going to do. I'm not even sure the Fed has a good idea what they're going to do. I was just going to say. Yeah, exactly. But here's what I ask you, Stanley. 
you know, the Fed is always engaging in so-called open mouth operations. You know, they're going to do this, they're going to do that. They're thinking about raising rates. They're not even thinking about thinking raising rates. So yada, yada, yada. Okay, fine. But forget about the open mouth operations. You know Stanley in basketball. I don't know if you have much you play as a kid or you certainly watch. You know they always say when you're playing defense, you know, watch the belly button. You know, the hips don't lie. You know, watch watch the belly button, all right? Forget about the faking with the right. ball and, head and all that kind of stuff, right? The Fed can talk all they want. I, I know we don't want to go down this rabbit hole. I just want to make an observation and get your reaction to it. Forget, you know, it's watch what they do, not what they say. The fact of the matter is the Fed balance sheet's still been increasing just up until recently. So I just think they've excessively uh, leaned, relied on open mouth operations. They're so far behind the curve, they can't even see the curve. I mean, what would your take be on that, Stanley? Yeah, you, 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 George, you just summed it up perfectly. And again, I don't want to get too much into the fundamentals, but I think this, this is going to be part of the problem if you're going to look for an excuse a year from now. Why did the market screw up? Forget that, hey, you would have done what it should have done anyway because it got overvalued and all that yep. stuff. I think that that is going to be part of the fundamental reason. They were so slow. It's ridiculous. And uh, again, I'm not going to get into politics. Yeah. All right. Let me finish this. Yeah. When you've got a moron like Nancy Pelosi telling you that by spending more, you're actually fighting inflation and helping the deficit, we're finished. Stanley, I love you, man. You know what? We're going to have to have another room. We're going to check IDs at the room because it's going to be the real deal, according to Stan. So none of the snowflakes will get upset. But let's just leave that aside. All right, let's just move on here. Plow ahead. Alan Levins, you got a follow-up question for Stanley? Yeah, just quick information, then quick question. Quick information is the commercial hedges are long the Russell and short the S&P, by the way. So the question is, let's talk about when you're wrong. Let's talk about your process when you're wrong. Thank you. Great. That's terrific. I remember, I don't remember if it was Chapter 8, but one of the chapters in my book, everybody... I remember one of the first books I read when I was a kid was Nicholas Darvis, how I made a million or two million dollars in the stock market. All he talked about is good stuff. I put a chapter in saying, hey, I think what really makes you a winner, only the liars are always, you know, right in the stock market. The same way when you go to the racetrack and they show you the winning tickets, they don't show you the losing tickets. So I think even if you're only right 50% of the time, if you play the game right, and you get good stuff and you let your winners run and you quickly cut your losses, you know, with proper stop losses, you'll, at the end of the day, only need a creative accountant at the end of the year. But I honestly think that you can be right easily 70, 75% of the time if you play the game right. But anyway, when you're wrong, it's very simple. I put a stop on every single recommendation. I have a trading stop, an investing stop, and I never argued the market. You know, I love what people say the market's wrong. The market's never wrong. We're wrong. We're not in gear with the market. So if it doesn't work out, fine. And I refine my trading, and that's more intermediate to long-term where I'm doing. And you got to separate what your game is. When I do my short-term trading, I, in this market, I'm even faster. If, let's say, you're buying XYZ on a breakout, it's going above 20, boom. Now, in the old days, I would make it only close above the level because you get false breakouts a lot of time. But in this market, because things are so fast, you wait the end of the day, it breaks out at 20 and change. You can pay 25. So the bottom line is I move in increments. If it moves above my level, let's say a 20 and a 20 spot 10, a 20 spot 20, you buy some stock, boom. 
if it can, if it works well at the end of the day, it's not stupid, but it's above 20. Let's say it's 20 and a half. I buy some more. If it you buy the initial, when you're trading, you buy the initial amount going above 20 and ooh, it's not working. It's screwing up. It's a false breakout. At the end of the day, it's closing at 19 spots, 75. I kick it out. And I'll come back to fight another day. False breakout. So it really isn't that difficult. If you have your rules and you follow them with discipline, to me, I'm, I don't overthink things. I'm mechanical. It's no different than when I played blackjack. I don't do a lot of thinking. I've got 11. The dealer's got six. Boom. I'm doubling down. To Stanley, let me just follow. It's an excellent question from Alan with Sharp Cookie. And, and by the way, you have to know, Stanley, I think I mentioned this to you. Um, Alan, he is, he's, he's sort of one, and he, he's in the, in the secret admirers. He's in the silent majority or whatever. And he sent me a compendium a couple weeks ago. I think I mentioned this to you, where there were, I don't know, a dozen or two dozen great technicians, maybe 500, 600 pages long. And he... He circled the part. It was a 25-page. I owe it to you. By the way, I tried to send it to you, but the file was so big, it wouldn't send. So maybe I'll have one of the tech guys figure out how to do this. But in any event, you were prominently featured prominently featured in that. Uh, the question I asked, just to, uh, uh, correlated to Alan's question. So let's so, – so, okay, so you never get in real trouble because you got discipline, all right? So you got stops. Fine. Okay. The flip side is if something's really volatile and your stops are too tight, like – what do you do? And I'm going to come up with a real life example. I'm going to make the general question come up with a real life example. What do you do in cases where you set the stop too tight? You get shaken out because it, it dips a little bit, hits your level, you're out, and then it goes back up, back up into the right. I mean, you have rules to get back in. And yeah, you're, 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 you're right, absolutely. Stanley, Stanley, you're, Stanley, you're, Stanley, Stanley, I'm going to give you a real life live bullets right now. No. So let's take energy. Okay, energy, energy has done nothing. All right. Well, um, I'm sorry, George, which stock? I'm talking about the energy stocks generally, the group, the energy group, yeah. the energy group. Okay, all right. So yeah. energy is leadership. It looks strong, multiple time frames. You know, it came out of a huge base, blah, 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 blah. It's not even talk fundamentals. Forget about the fundamentals, right? So you take energy. And, you know, throughout much of last year, there were a couple times where it wobbled. And maybe it went off your buy list as a result. But then it reasserted itself. So just take energy right now, right here, right now, okay? It looks great. The worst thing I could say is... It's maybe overachieved in the short run, so it needs to consolidate. I don't know. But right. speak to, you know, it looks – it's leadership, but it may have a wobble here or there. And so how do you think about the stops you put on it? I don't know if you use – I mean, you probably don't, you probably don't explicitly use a Bollinger Band, but you probably have some idea of trends. So how do you think about setting stops on energy, just generically, not a particular name? Great. If you were taking the XOP or the XLE. That, the I've got that up. Let's, George, I think yeah. you're okay. right, so let's take off. Go, everybody, go. everybody who has it in front of their charts, clip the XOP. I think that's that's a perfect example. First, it's really been bullish. If you go back since last September, it, it, you know, it, whatever it had one day, I think it shook out for one day in December below its two hundred day MA. Besides that, it's been nonstop bullish. So that's number one. Number two, it's obviously had now separate long term from short term. It's obviously had its troubles along the way. Take a look and decide what your game is. Um, from a trading point of view, if you have the chart up, you'll see in October, November, it rolled over. Yeah, we had clients do some trimming even before it broke. Then it broke the 50-day MA. It doesn't matter if I'm right or wrong. I'm robotic. We did further trimming there. Boom. It, got, it had a bad lot of weeks after that. Then to follow up on your thing, 
It went back above the 200 AMA. If you want, you re-enter a little, fine, boom, boom, boom. You got shook out again, okay. Then it had that nice breakout very cleanly in February. And if you take a look, since then, it's had a couple of sharp corrections. But did any of those corrections break below the rising 50-day MA? Forget about the 200. No, they held in textbook fashion. The first one in late February, even when the market got schmiced there, and that late February, it held right at the 50-day MA. Then if you take a look at the next one in March, it didn't even quite get to the 50-day MA. So trading is one thing and fine. But if you even... You know, if you did some trimming, because I always say profit taking is not a bad, a, a dirty word. Boom. Then when it breaks out again, you can do it. So the, the essence and it shouldn't be an all or nothing play. Separate your game. Long term energy has been great and the oil related has been great for months. That's easy. Then along the way, of course, you're going to have some short term hiccups. So you take some off. It breaks out, you put some on, and as long as you know you're trading, if the XOP now closes above, let's give it a little wiggle room, make it round number, 139. You close on Monday above 139, yeah, I could buy a little more, but no, define your risk when you're going in, because like you said, George, you're very right, it's certainly you're not the first or second kid on the block here, so if you're right. going to do it breaking out, this new increment, I'm only talking about the new increment, I would put a stop. I like round numbers. So the recent low was 134 and change. The round number for me is 134. I'd stop it out at 133 spot 99. That's it. And then let the chips fall where they may. I got it. So you're, you're using the recent local low as your stop, basically. Right. As a trading stop. I understand. But investing is different. Okay. That's oh, fantastic. my God. Investing. Yeah. You know, you, you, and you got to define your game. Yeah. No, you got exactly. Exactly. Thanks for that, Stan. All right, I want to go to Mark Newman and then Gnostic. Hey, Mark, are you there? You got a question for Stan, Mark? Yeah. Hey, how you doing? Um, just want to say, you know, your your book is one of many of the legendary books that you read when you want to learn about, you know, about the markets and how to make money and how, how that, to have a thank, thank, thank you very much. Um, so you said something interesting earlier on at the very start here about the magic trick, if you will. And I just wanted to sort of equate one thing and sort of say, you know, the macro conversations that I have involve the magic trick, the look over there as sort of what's going on in Russia while we have a lot of problems here in the U.S., whether it's inflation, whether it's gas prices. Good point. Whether, so and that's it just when you said it from the technical perspective, right? Like, don't be don't be misled in the short term. It's like the market is thinking that and the macro story is sort of hey it's russia it's the ukraine that's what's causing all the inflation no 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 but that's the misdirection so it was interesting to hear it from the technical thoughts of you had to when i you know parallel that with the with the macro that i that, by the way that and that and also parallel with the bs politics that's a great point anybody who wants to be data driven they try to say i mean that don't get me going that saki who's a moron that jen saki if you take a look and you go she said oh you know, it's all Putin's fault. Just look how gas was rocking and rolling. Look how inflation was skyrocketing before Putin. That's right. Stanley, 100%, 100%. And then I just wanted to just one other thing. So you said about, and then you also said about the intermediate term versus the longer term or whatever that may be. You know, we got to remember that in March of 00, spring of 00, the market peaked around 1550-ish, I believe. Between there and September, six months later, it got to 1535, right? right? 
So, so in that six months, I remember a sort of April, May, there was a big downdraft, then it rallied and then it went sideways. And you, in all that time, we had that rotation within there. What was sort of working, what might've been working, what might not have been. And then by September, Hey, we're only one and a half percent, 1% from all time highs. Well, the next 18 months we were 50% lower, right? You are, that you are so right. And I, I, I love that because in last week, I, I love talking with you guys in last weekend's update, not the one you'll get tomorrow in last weekend's update. I went through that exact point and I said, Hey, just what you said. I said, back in, the, in that point in 2000, it was a good, I said, bear markets can have rally. That was a good one. I went back, which I said about the, the 1973 good rally, but up, 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 there was also not as good a rally, but you know, in, in 2008, in the first quarter. Yeah. Hello? Are you I still lost, there? Hello? I lost it. <laughs> Stanley. Okay, good. Stanley, Stanley, why, Stanley, why wait, 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 am, I, am, I, am I still on? No, Stanley. We got okay, to now. Yeah, no, I can Bam, hear you now. Yeah, we, we okay, lost, listen, listen, listen. We lost you for 10 seconds. Okay, good. Bear, the point is, bear markets, I wrote last week, can have good rallies. So you make a very good point. And this is where, again, misdirection comes in. And this is also why it's so important that we don't get hung up on labels of bear markets. You made a great point. Come on, right now, markets are moving so quickly. Day by day, back in 2000, I remember, because we had turned negative there in the first quarter of 2000. But if all you did was be negative and you didn't realize that, yeah, the internet and tech was going to get hit there, but a lot of other stuff was up okay until September, it's insanity. So this is why I really think as I was saying before, and I said in this conversation, fundamentalist BS and tell us like you can't time the market. But we also as technicians sometimes fall into that trap. Our trap is to only talk long term and not realize in the real world, hey, there's stuff in between. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I mean, Tommy Thornton nailed that about two weeks ago, right? I think that's very important. That there are those interim spots. Now, just the last thing, like, you know, we've been talking about these yield curve inversions and economics recession and all these things you see how those banks act Citigroup one year low xhp the home builders one year lows like those guys are telling you that the yield curve is a big deal you're right when there's a lot of others that are saying it's not as much but i those, know those I know. sectors are speaking to us by the way you're, you're right as are the truckers yeah 100 yeah. percent. anyway i just wanted to say thanks and uh, to, uh Stan, great to hear your uh, voice in this space. And, and, and I got to tell you, this has really recharged me because it's great hitting back and forth with you guys who are sophisticated. I love it. It really recharges me. And so, thanks, right, George. Thanks, guys. Have a yeah, great thanks, one. Mark. So, Stanley, um, I don't want to we, – we've been doing this for two hours. I don't want too much of your time. How are you on time, Stan? We, yeah. This room, I just don't no, no. I, I'm, I'm, we're going to wrap it up. I'll give you another five, ten minutes that I got to go. I didn't think it'd be this long. But while I've got you, one more – because I'm terrible when it comes, people are sent to websites, I don't know, Twitter. I, before you got me on, I've never been on Twitter. So anybody who wants tomorrow's report, I'm going to say it one more time. Just send me off to an email, but email that even at my technological retarded level I can get. Send it off to stand at globaltrendalert. No spaces. Stand at globaltrendalert.net. Just give me name, but up, 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 and your phone number. I'll send it to you, and then you do what you want with it. Perfect, Stanley. And I will tweet at your email address so people will have it. No problem. All right, so we're going to wrap this up in 10 minutes. 
Uh, we're going to go in order. Please keep the questions tight because this has gone on much longer than we thought. We're going to go to Gnostic followed by um, uh, Carpathia. Gnostic, good to see you. What's up, my friend? There we go. Gnostic, yep, I'm there? here. Yeah, I'm here. Just had to get some lunch. Uh, questions already. It's crazy. Hey, 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 Gnostic, 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 you're going in and out. We can't really hear you very well. Can you get to a better place, please? All right, get to a better place. All right, Carpathian, uh, you're up. What's up, Carpathian? Hey, not much. Th thanks uh, a bunch for this, George. Stan, you're a hero. I read your book. Oh, it saved me. You know, who knows what? I, <laughs> I just want to, you know, the sports analogy that keeps coming to mind in this call is volleyball. You know, you said we're historically, you know, no one's ever been here. No one alive. You know, we we all have experience, but no one alive had this set of data points in these these game pieces, you know, the Fed, where they're at, the global central banks. I saw Mike Green on here. He got the passive bid. But, you know, volleyball, you make a point, you forget. You make a point, you forget. And this is so refreshing. It's not really a question. But, you know, volleyball is the one sports analogy. You know, you go on a five-point run, you got to forget it. It's the next point. And, you know, it really we have our we have our thinking what's going to happen. But. It is so far down the Thunderdome. We just got to, you know, read and react and ride with what's working. And it's, it's the materials. You devalue I, the it, it, you're, you're totally right. And also, go, I love, you know, I never use, by the way, I never use volleyball as an analogy. I, that's a good one. But I'm a big football fan. And that, that, what do they always say about cornerbacks? If a corner got, cornerback gets burned, forget about it. You're on to the next play. Thank you. I'm going to head out. Thanks. 100%. That, th thanks for that. Um, okay, so now it is. Uh, let's see. Gnostic, can you try again? Or are you still in a bad place, Gnostic? Nope, is this any? Is this any better? Yeah, it's better. Go ahead, Gnostic. Go for it. Okay. Um, just about everybody's asked my questions already. So, Stanley, here's a, a joke for you that is kind of interesting. I first came across your book when it was literally thrown at my face by one of my bosses who asked me to stop being such an idiot and getting worried about losing. <laughs> um, and I read it and thought this is absurd. And then over time I've learned that, uh, you know, it's a, don't, don't get worried about stuff. Anyway, the, the question here, and I think it's been answered by a bunch of other people. We've got people concerned about cash flows, money flows, EU money flows into America bonds. Our bonds going to drive the market uh, ETFs, is all of that reflected in the price in the market or uh -huh. is some of it exogenous and has an effect? No, 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 I, I really believe it. That's why it was more than just a catch all phrase that I had on the, when I used to do the professional tape reader in the upper left hand corner where I said the tape tells all Well, you just said, which is really good. It's all in the mix. You know, everything that we're worried about at the end of the day, it's like making a stew. It's all in there. And then you taste it. It's good. It's bad. That's what it is. And the market is really digesting all of these factors that everybody worries about. It's like that old thing about, hey, if you put a blindfold on and somebody would touch a piece of the elephant, what was that? They'd touch a different part. It's all in the market. And that's, what, and that's why I try to keep it simple. I think sometimes, and I'm not being facetious, I'll sometimes tell a client, you know what? You're so bright, but I think that's hurting you. You have, and I'm not being eccentric. I know I'm above average, but I put. I learned that when I get in trouble, it's because I'm overthinking. I think sometimes we have to stop 
thinking and thinking and overthinking and just look at the bottom line because that's the end result. That's pr- thanks for that, Stanley. That's great. We're just going to move along quickly because we have limited time. I'm going to go to Guy Sarandulo, my old friend Guy Sarandulo, uh, and then we're going to have um, we're going to have uh, all all about the price after Guy. Guy, good to see mm-hmm. you. You got a question for Stan? Yeah, thanks, George. Uh, hi, Stan. Hey, uh, good to good to, good to talk to you. It's been a lot of days. A lot of days. I just have to say, you know, more so uh, a comment. I think, you know, if there was a way of cloning you, Stan, I think we would all have to pray to have that happen because there's a generation of traders and investors that will learn so much from you. I mean, we would have our calls, Frank and I at Wellington, every two to three weeks, and it was always phenomenal. You're always, I mean, even at your age, I don't know how old you are, but man, you have energy of a 20 year old. So, well, I, I just, uh, I, yeah. I, 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 thanks. I just had my 80th birthday. I said to my wife, the calendar, <laughs> the calendar's wrong because I feel like 60. Yeah, good. The one quick question I do have is uh, I've been on the buy side for over 30 years. You're doing all, you know, your work on the sell side for God, even longer than that. How do you deal with clients that, you know, may have, shorted a stock the wrong, you know, at the wrong time and not listen to you or, or conversely, even the long side at, at the wrong time. It, it jams in their face for a day or two. You get calls from them. Of How course. do you handle that, that, heat, that heat of the moment? How do you handle I'm, that? I'm, right. I'm sure that you do the same thing, Guy. And that's what I've learned. At this point in my life, all I want to do, first, before I, I worry about clients, when I was like in my 20s, I would worry about am I right, am I wrong? At this point, I don't worry about right or wrong. I worry about mm-hmm. am I making the right probability call and then let the chips fall where they may. Now, turning to clients, I have learned also to just lay it out. I, I'll often, I, I always talk in analogous form. I'll often say, hey, I can only lead a horse to water. I can't make him drink. I lay out my opinions. People know, like I have a new client, a gal, maybe she's with me three or four months and she's not used to me. She's going, oh. Why don't you tell me what you really think? The bottom line is I lay out my two cents. You are all big boys, big girls. You do what the hell you want with it. And, you know, and that, that's the fun of it because I know I'm going to be right seven and a half out of eight times. And other times, like this gal who I told her, she said, oh, you're terrific. You're the Michael Jordan of technicians. And I like to tamp down expectations. I say, you know what? Michael Jordan puts up an air ball now and then too, and so will I. Give me the space to be 20% wrong. I know I'm right eight out of 10 times. So you, I know you do it too, guy. You give yeah. them the best and then let the chips fall where they may. Exactly. Thanks so Great. much, Stan. Thank you, George. Bye. Thank you, guy. Walter Deemer, we're running out of time here. And Wally, I really, I have sent you uh, an invite to speak a couple times. It'd be great to hear you uh, uh, say hi to, to Stan. We have limited time left, so I want the questions to please be tight. No speeches, just to get straight to the point, please. So uh, my, my good friend Jackson Monero, uh, uh, the floor is yours. What's up, Jackson? Jackson, you there? All right. So let's go to uh, All About the Price. floor is yours. Thank you, George. Thank you so much for doing this. Very excited to support your charity. And Stan, it's great to hear your voice again. It's your old friend, Mitch P. Good uh, question for you on uh, – you talk about the glamour average a lot. What is in it? How do you update it? And, and second to that, you, know, you have an old quote. I won't try to do it justice about when they raid the, they raid the brothel, <laughs> they, they, they take the piano player too. What's the piano player in this market right now? Is it Nvidia? Is it Apple? Like, when are we going to know that that everything's been completely washed out? That, first of all, that's a lot of great stuff. Yeah, and you're right. When the raid 
the house. They take the pretty girls and the piano player too. But anyway, I think they're doing it in sequence. First, they got the aggressive stocks you saw, and that's what I put out in January. Then there were those wise guys who said like, oh, even though you're right about that, you're wrong about the semis. Now they're rotating and they're getting the semiconductors. They're becoming a problem too. So this, I don't think it's going to be a case of where, oh, they're taking every, the piano player yet. Yeah, they're just taking one girl at a time out. So that that's number one. And what was the other part of your question? I, 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 I won't be sorry. You know, I'm what sorry. It was about the glamour average. Oh, oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, the glamour average. That's a proprietary thing. No big deal. You know, and, and you would all be able to put it together, too. We put it together. Aggressive stocks. It obviously has the FANG stocks in there. It's got some good go-go other stocks, biotech, healthcare, you know, what, what you'd expect. And, you know, every quarter I'll go through and say, oh, I didn't used to have Shopify in, so Shopify goes in. We take some old drudgy stock out that maybe isn't rocking and rolling anymore. And that's it. And it really, you know, is very helpful because you'll see that once that ran into trouble in the late December, early January period, after that, from that trading point of view, that's when they got the piano player. That, that's ex excellent question. Wonderful to hear you. Stan, it just brings back so many memories to hear you use uh, to invoke some of your oldies but goodies. All right, let's go to Kurt sees it all. Kurt, what's your question? Uh, yeah, no, very quickly, I want to say, George, thank you for putting this on. This has probably been the most insightful space that I've been on in a long time, having guys like Stan um, just being able to share their, um, their experience in the market. And it, it's definitely the most by far experiential um, space I've been on. Second of all, I just realized my question will probably be a little bit uh, too long-winded in regards to Stan. I haven't heard anybody really um, expanding upon uh, reading the tape. And that's something I'm actually a fan of and I'm, I'm studying now. Um, I'm definitely a big technical analysis trader. So, but so, so actually, Kurt, 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 let me, let me yeah. stop you right there. I'm hoping that Stan, as skeptical as he might have been at the outset, has enjoyed himself so much that we're going to get him back here because you you ask what is seemingly a very simple question, but that cannot be answered in a soundbite. So you're right, given the limited time here, if you would please ask that question when we have Stan back, I just don't think it's the right time and the right place for that. Question. Yeah, no, definitely so, and that's why I realized yeah. that it'd be too of a, too much of a long-winded. Uh, no, exactly, exactly, exactly. Uh, that I be appreciate the, that, the that, could, that could be the topic for an entire room. So let's just leave that aside. All right, Jackson, are you are you back, Jackson? Are you back there, Jackson? I don't know where he went. Okay, let's go to Peter. Peter, what's your question, please? Peter, I don't know where he is. All right. Uh, anyone else? Oh, here, you haven't uh, said much. Do you have a question to offer, Stan? Otherwise, I think it's about time we might bring the room, be, bring a, bring the room to a close. Um, go for it. Yeah, you're yeah, fine. Go for it. Stan, what are your, what are your thoughts on uh, precious metals and uh, the sector in general and uh, mining stocks, if any? Great. Great. Good question. You'll see in tomorrow's report, those of you who bother to get it, We've been in gold stocks. It went through a consolidation. You don't have to do a lot of thinking. I think it's getting ready to go again. What's interesting, whereas several weeks ago, bullion itself was acting better than the gold stocks. Now, from a shorter term point of view, I see an inversion. When you get a chance, we hang up and we end this call, put up the GDX, the George David X-ray. It's getting ready. Well, long term, it's an easy call. It's bullish. But from a trading point of view, right down this level, 40 spot 30. Right now, it's 39 and change. If it goes topside and we break above 40 spot 30, boom. I think that's a new 
buy signal, and I think you're going to see a whole new up leg start. Long term, it's an easy call. Short term, watch it. That will give us a short term timing of when the next gold run is going to be. And if you look at the GLD itself, that doesn't look as good now. Is it sloppy short term? Well, those bullish long term, but the GDX. That's the key. Watch it above that level. I think we will get another new up leg. So, Stanley, I just want to make sure I heard you right. You wouldn't buy it. You, you want to see another breakout before you. Before right. You exactly. Now it's a now it's a solid hold, breaking out. We buy again. The other thing, though, let me just amend one last thing. This will be the last call. One la last question. One last thing. Even within the gold sector, which the whole thing we've been bullish on for quite a while, but there are some stocks like. Uh, I'm just thinking like an AUI, Apple Uncle Yellow, and a couple of others you'll see in the report that are on the margin that are getting ready to break out. And if they would go topside and break out, like I'm going AUI, if it closes above five spot 80, even if the GDX hasn't broken out, I'd buy some AUI. And then if the right. GDX breaks out, I'd buy it more aggressively. There are others that, yeah, they're okay, but they're not as good. So we have to do a lot of work and not just be, you know, simple minded. All right. Stanley, one last, the last question again, because I keep getting asked and keep messing it up. Again, your email address is Stan at what? Global Trend. Here we go. Yeah, Stan at GlobalTrendAlert.net. Just send off your name, send off your phone number. I'll send you the report, and then we'll see where it goes from there. Right. In the meantime, George, this has been a great, great session. I never thought I'd be on this long, but I had a, a blast right. and a half. This was even more fun than when I was on when I was, you know, on Wall Street Week with Rue Kaiser. May he rest right. in so, peace. Yeah, so, St so Stanley, I have one thing I'm going to ask you, and that's just to stay on for like a couple minutes. Uh, Carol Stone is a friend, and she has a career in philanthropy, and 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 she is spearheading our efforts to chat to funnel um, the resources that people want to contribute to world central kitchens and so carol um uh is is, is going to just speak for a couple minutes my, 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 my pleasure yeah we're going to come out with a with a with a bigger so carol we can keep it tight we'll do a bigger explanation maybe in the next room but maybe just give a heads up about about what's what's top of mind for you and, and, and what we're going to be doing carol yeah i'm going to make this really quick can you hear me yeah i can okay we're so good. my first, yeah, we got my first yep. time on twitter stands so just like you um but, <laughs> but real quick George made the point about wanting to make sure that, that a charity was selected that uh, was apolitical and had high rating. And the other, the other thing that's the World Kitchen is, World Central Kitchen is really on the ground, not only on the border of Ukraine and all the neighboring countries, but it was important to us to find an organization that had, was really being effective inside of Ukraine. Um, and the other thing that we'll talk about in another space is that, um, you know, this whole topic of food which is the mission of World Central Kitchen to go into disaster relief areas, totally intersects with a lot of the stuff that George and everybody in this space is talking about, you know, namely economic, economic security, national security. Um, so it, it's just a great charity doing incredible work, small but mighty team on the ground in Ukraine. And we can talk about it more in another space, but um, just a heads up. To yeah, I mean, but by the way, Carol mentioned to me, like one, just one of the reasons why we're picking them, aside from the fact they got a really high efficiency ratio and they're apolitical, she was mentioning like like they're one of the few that's there. I mean, Carol, what did you tell me? The Red Cross is getting bombed on or something crazy like that? Yeah, well, the Red Cross had to withdraw out of certain areas. There are also a lot of organizations that can't cross certain corridors without UN reaching some agreement with both sides of the conflict. 
Uh, and so there are organizations like World Central Kitchen that has a lot less red tape, apparently. You know, they're smaller, they're more nimble. Uh, and I'll have more color on that when we talk further. But it, it's a really interesting aspect that there are not that many organizations like there usually are in a national disaster that have been able to be effective inside Ukraine. And this is one of them. That's fantastic. This Carol. is great. So do, do, do me a favor. Just send me an email quickly so I know outlining the thing and where I make a contribution to and how, whatever, boom, 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 and send it off to me. Say we spoke and I'll take care of it. That's great, Stan. Fantastic. Thanks, Stan. By the way, Stan, I mean, like, we've all had a lot of fun here. Uh, You've taught a lot of people. It is so, again, I don't think you realize the impact that you've had on people's lives. Really? Well, you know, that's really true because it's funny. After I did the last podcast, one guy had written to me who became a client and he said, you don't realize the impact, just what you said, how you've changed my life and da, 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 da. And, you know, I turned to read, I said, hey, I hope I make it to the biblical 120, but you know what? That's part of my legacy. So it always, for me, starts first family, then after family, you know, sports, then politics, and you know what? And then it's this market and whatever. And this this is my contribution. You know, I, I, like I say to Rita, there's so many shitty people in the world. I like to just feel... Hopefully, it's a long time from now. We leave this world. We've made it just a little bit better place we came in. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Rabbi Stan. And Stanley, I hope you'll consider coming back again sometime in the future. This way we will. Not, not too soon, but we will. Down the road. I, I, I got to be honest with you. I thought it would be a bit of a fun, but this turned out to be a hoot. Down the road at the right time, you and I are going to rock and roll again. Again, we're still one and one equals three. 100%. And again, on behalf of everybody, Thank you, thank you, thank you. We're going to do this again, and stay tuned. Carol's going to be coming out. We're going to have the YouTube channel up and running soon, and, you know, go Global Central Kitchen. So there you go. Thanks, everyone. Terrific, and and have Carol send me the email. I got to hop now. You you got it. You got it. All right, Stan, we're going to say goodbye to Stan. Uh, Stan, you're just charged. You can go. Is anybody else, I mean, O'Hare, unless there's anything else, uh, I think we're going to close this room. Unless O'Hare, there's anything else you got on your mind. No, I'm all set. I got uh, just getting ready for a lacrosse game here. So, oh, hold on uh, one second. Fantastic. Hold on. We're get, I'm going to let Gnostic get the last three. Gnostic, what's up? Stan, if you're still here. Um, I'm here. You, what you said about, you know, coming into the room and getting re-energized and feeling better about being in the room. Yes. I think everybody in this room would also agree. George runs a tight room. He tells us to basically go jump off a cliff if, if it's appropriate. <laughs> And he runs a good room to sit down and do it. He doesn't let us blab too much or get too carried away. Having George around is a huge help. Having you in here makes us all feel better. And exactly what you said. My God, I've spent I don't know how many hours sitting in George's rooms just listening or in some of the other rooms listening to some of the other people in here. And it makes me feel like there's hope. Please, please, please come back. Um, This has been great. And I've appreciated you for years. And... Stan, thank you. Hey, you know what? You're welcome. I'm going to tell you something. This was a win-win on both sides. It's the essence of a good deal. I hope I helped you guys. And for me, it recharged me. So we all won. Now we should all stay safe and safe and well. And with that, Stanley, you have the last word. Good night, everyone. And see you, see you around. Take care. Good night. So long. Good night.